Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are here. Wilkes Watch is officially over, as is the 2018 season. You have the survivor in Steve Kime. You have the one who paid the price for the Cardinals' ultimate 3-13 and season, despite a very strong effort up until the end to the Seattle Seahawks. Maybe the game was viewed as their Super Bowl. Maybe it was one kind of last-ditch effort for the season to take down the Seahawks. But no, it officially is up to the Arizona Cardinals. They are on the clock with the number one pick in the draft, and they're on the clock in their head coaching search. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy. I'm the co-host here. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, the venerable John Venerable, at Johnny's Football on Twitter. John, how are you doing tonight? We're recording this on New Year's day how are the uh, festivities for you at least oh I, lo- I love it blake a lot of fireworks uh in cardinal nation mm-hmm. with everything that's gone on uh, it was kind of a touch and go uh 12 hour period when you thought okay maybe they're not going to get the first overall pick maybe they're going to beat the seahawks mm-hmm. uh thankfully they were competitive still lost and then will they won't they fire steve wilkes because several coaches were let go sunday night steve wilkes was not one of them so, um, you know, waking up Monday morning, I don't want to say the good news because, you know, you know, I, it's weird to say that it's good news when your coach gets fired. But I think, you know, most of us felt like it was time to move on and another year would have been wasted. But it was it was kind of strange. And uh, but thankfully, we sit here now, January 1st, 2019, a, a fresh start for Cardinal fans, anxious to see what they've got in store. Hopefully it's not horrific football like it was in 2018, Blake. That's for sure. A fresh start for Cardinals fans. Some Cardinals fans are still a bit upset, feeling like they would have preferred a fully fresh start, at least. Before we jump into looking at kind of the Steve Wilkes and the era, Steve Kime did stay. I think that was something that we had both expected. A little bit different from, again, the uh, previous firings, at least. They had Rod Graves, who was also still a family friend and very close to Michael Bidwell as well. Uh, He was, of course, retained and We'll get into some of the, I guess, maybe the details on some of that a little bit later. But yeah, John, were you at least surprised that Kime was kept? Did you agree with the move, disagree with the move? What are some of your thoughts on this? Because I was in the position of, I feel like I would have preferred kind of a fully clean start just in case there's, you know, bad offensive line next year and other issues. And you feel like you have to get Steve Kime out of the roster. It just creates a whole lot of turmoil was kind of my take, at least for the most part. That's where I would have leaned. But I'm not angry or, or upset that Steve Kime is back or like, you know, I'm not getting my pitchfork and torch ready to go storm the Cardinals headquarters right now just because Steve Kime still has a job for 2019. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's a weird kind of scenario because, you know, I, I'm of the same mindset, Blake, if you're going to get a new coach, just get a new GM. But then I also thought to myself, you know, I don't know Michael Bidwell personally, but I had a feeling the way he thinks is the way kind of he portrayed himself during that press conference Monday, right? That, you know, I, I give the Arizona media credit. They started a press time on how much of responsibility do you take? Steve was very honest in his assessment that he takes a lot of responsibility. And then Michael interrupted and basically said, let me point out that, that Steve Kime, and, and to his credit, he's right, has been involved in the most sustained success in franchise history winning 50 games in five years. And I believe that's how Michael views Steve. Um, if you're, if you're just putting the extreme DUI out of it, which he could have been easily fired for and that there's no excuse for that, you know, the first round picks have not worked out, but he's won 50 games in five years leading into this season. And he did that with players that he acquired, that he traded for, that he signed in free agency. It's not, it's not all about the draft. Now, a lot of it is, but he's had success two-time GM of the year, NBC Pro Football Talk, um, was very highly thought of around the league when he got the job. And I think most importantly, he's been with the franchise since, I believe, 2001. 
It's almost two decades with the Cardinals. So you think about all those things that come into play, and it's just like, you know, he goes to Michael Bidwell. He's had he's had one bad year on the field. His on the field product has been poor this year. It was really bad, right? But he can go off of saying, but I had you know, five years that were better than you've had in the history of your franchise, certainly since you've come to Arizona. So I, I don't think he even kind of had to sell himself to Michael Bidwell. I think Michael Bidwell just thought to himself, Hey, Steve's gotten me out of this before he built a championship team in, in two or three years. I think he can do it again. I think he had a pretty good draft this past year. I personally, Blake, I would have been, I, I would have been on your side of the fence. Um, hundred percent. Had they, had they moved on, I would have had no problem with that. But I, I really never thought they would. I, I honestly thought to myself that you know, the more that I read the tea leaves in between the lines, that the, the relationship he had with Michael Bidwell, I mean, especially when you're hearing that they may or may not move on from Steve Wilkes, I said, well, they're definitely not going to move on from Kime if they're, if they're on the fence about letting Wilkes go. Now, who knows how, how, how much of that is true. But you know, at the same time, I, I think that they're going to give him, and they're going to have to, in my opinion, give him at least two more years because I don't think you can saddle Steve with a new head coach that he's going to pick here in the next week, two weeks, three weeks, and then fire him after next year, uh, and then leave this coach as a lame duck for another GM. I, I it just be it would be strange to see that. Um, and so I think he's bought himself at least two more drafts. Now I could be wrong. There are people saying that he could be fired after this year, um, and you know that that would surprise me. But at the same time. No, I, I think he's going to get another shot. I don't want to say he deserves one, especially after the summer's incident, but I do think he's, he's capable. That's, that's what I, he's capable of putting together a quality off season to get this team back on the right track. Now, I don't know if he can do it or not, but man, he's got a hell of a ton of ammunition to get it done. Yeah. That's been the biggest thing is that we, the question I think a lot of people had was Steve Kime has never had, you know, this much cap room with the rookie quarterback contract. He's never had the cap room that they'll have at least partially because, you know, you didn't have a whole lot of talent that you had to go. You got to have your core most part intact. And then the fact that they haven't really been able to pay a lot of their franchise first rounders, at least you still have, you know, DJ Humphreys and others are under Kandichi and others are under contract, but they're not expected to like be getting these huge paydays. Uh, and you also didn't have to give up a whole lot. You had to give up a third and a fifth to get Josh Rosen, which meant that unlike, you know, teams like the jets and the bills who were traded up second round picks on the jets case, almost all of them to be able to get their quarterback. So it'll be interesting to say the least. I think my biggest thing that someone pointed out that was interesting was, you're talking about with the Cardinals and with Steve Kime specifically, he does have, you know, 50 wins in five years, average of 10 wins a year. Look at the last three years though. And it's 18 wins in three years. The average goes from 10 to six. So that's been kind of the interesting thing is it's been trending down. So the question is we've seen Steve Kime be able to build the Cardinals from scratch, be able to see, I still think that the lack of identity was part of the reason why they struggled this year. You went from identity of, Hey, here's the Arizona Cardinals. We uh, no risk it, no biscuit. We blitz all out. And then we throw the ball at least very deep. We don't have maybe the best offensive line, but they have been building everything kind of around that type of mentality. Then they suddenly shifted this year with, you know, with Wilkes. And I think some of that at least does fall on Kime where maybe he isn't as safe as we think. Maybe you're right that it is a two to three year process. It depends, I think, a lot on 
the head coach they've hired, but ultimately it's going to be where it's a, kind of a gambit by Michael Bidwell of they've got a GM who's trending pretty much downhill in every single season since that 2015 year. So is he going to be the guy who's going to, you know, now that he's got the resources available, turn around and kind of get it done? Is he going to be able to learn from the lessons and mistakes that they made from this year? Because they made a lot of them. You can point to McCoy, Bradford, Wilkes in general, just the entire move. I think some of that does ultimately, however, fall on the perception of Steve Wilkes versus what Steve Wilkes turned into. And that's kind of, I think, what we'll get into next is I think that the move to the 4-3 maybe wasn't something that was being sold as far as Bidwell Wilkes kind of came in and knowing the 3-4 and the 4-3. I think that the idea, at least that they had of, you know, being able to come in and having a flexible offensive coordinator. We had a conversation, I know, with uh, Ben Albright, at least earlier, who talked about how Mike McCoy would sell himself of, Hey, I'm this, you know, guy who adapts to my personnel. Instead you would see David Johnson run up the middle in the same 11 personnel all the time. It really was not that adaptive. So maybe it was in some cases, they kind of had this idea of we've built up this Cardinals culture that's intact. We're fine with making a couple of changes. Hopefully they've learned from a lot of those things moving forward, because that's really what Michael Bidwell is uh, kind of gambling on, I think overall with this, because uh, in some cases it's not a popular move to keep the GM because the, I think if it had been the three and 13 people would be calling for his head, the DUI I think took things to a, t- a totally different area. And uh, it was interesting to think of John Ledger saying, Hey, if Steve Kime can survive this DUI, clearly Michael Bidwell thinks highly of him. He did not think very highly of Steve Wilkes, at least not enough to give him a sentence. No, no, so no, no. Where do you think it went wrong for the Wilkes era, John? Like, was it a game? Was it a time? What was the reason why we're sitting this here with maybe the, the first kind of, I guess you could say one and done Cardinals coach that we've had in a while and the number one overall pick and a team that was so bad that I, and I think this is the key point of the point differential. It was worse than the 0-16 Cleveland Browns. You were arguably mm-hmm. a, a worse team than the Cleveland Browns that went 0-16. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it got off to a, a very, very rocky start, to say the least. Michael alluded to this in his press conference. The team was outscored by the Redskins and the Rams in the first two weeks of the season, 58-6. to <laughs> Almost 58-0. Almost 58, 58-0. But. Yeah. 58-6. They started the season 0-4. Uh, I keep going back to that disastrous, disastrous call against Chicago in the fourth quarter where everybody knows Rosen should be starting. They elected not to start him in that game against the Bears. The Bears have one of the best defenses in the NFL this year, needless to say. They've got Khalil Mack. Bradford does nothing all game after you know two first. They didn't even drives. play Bradford for that one. They apparently weren't practicing. It was just yeah. a weird type was, of reliance. And then they, inser- they inserted Rosen with like three minutes left, and they said, "Go, go win us the game. Go save yeah. the game." Because and the defense didn't stop the Bears who drove down the field. They were probably going to answer to him if they were like thinking, "Oh, we'll get a three in out here." Rosen will get maybe two series. So all we have to do is you know pin them deep. It's kind of like the idea is we'll pin them deep here. They'll punt it back to the forty yard line. Just tell the kid, "Hey, go and get thirty yards or so. We'll get into field goal range and then send it out here with the defense." The defense yeah. couldn't stop anyone, and then you bring yeah. in a cold quarterback into a much much more with with situation. Yeah, with, with minimal prep time that day. I mean, you got to go into the game thinking, I'm going to be the starter. And when you've been told all week you're not going to start, I mean, like, that, that was just a terrible that's, – that's, that's, like, that's stuff you do in high school football. I mean, that's not the NFL. That's not how professionals 
operate. You think Bruce Arians would ever do that? I mean, it's one thing that you pull him at halftime, right? Everybody. Yeah, he never pulled Gabbert. He never pulled Gabbert right. for Stanton. It was always in between mid-year that he, he kept his quarterback. But I've never Stanton. seen that. I've never seen that in the NFL outside of injury. So that, to me, I, I was turned off at that moment. Then you've got questionable coaching decision after questionable coaching decision in so many games. The lack of aggressiveness. The press conferences, to me, were just redundant. He couldn't give you synopsis of the games that just happened. That was frustrating to me, I think, Blake. And then the biggest thing that you all have come on this podcast every week, and I just ask for some kind of identity from Steve Wilkes. And, you know, we go through phases of the season. A lot of people view the seasons as four quarters, right? Because, you know, there's, there's four games and four games and four games and four games, right? And so you got 16 games, you got your four quarters. Of, and so I just assumed as we, as we progress through the season, we'd start to see a little bit of, of an identity form with this Cardinal team, whether it be running the football, which I know would be difficult because of the, you know, the sieve of the offensive line, but especially on defense, the fact that they never made significant improvements to Mm -hmm. a defense that was top six last year, that went to 20th overall this year, you're not playing your personnel to their strengths, which again, Michael Bidwell talked about. I mean, to hear Michael Mm -hmm. Bidwell talk about this, this is, it's one thing for Steve Kime, who's very much in the know, who knows football. And I'm not saying Michael Bidwell doesn't, but I mean, Michael Bidwell, I, I believe, didn't hold a lot back in that press conference on Monday, citing that he didn't play players to their strength, talked yeah. about the fact that, you know, they've regressed in every area other than special teams, which absolutely, they went from a defense who was suffocating, who, you know, they still got after the quarterback to some extent. They had no takeaways to speak of this year. You could argue they had more defensive talent this year than they've had, you know, under Todd Bowles. Mm-hmm. in several years um, under James Betcher in several years. And then offensively, to me, that was the biggest indictment of Steve Wilkes. Defensively, you want to say it's a transition year. I don't buy that, but you're, you're moving from, from a 3-4 to a 4-3. You don't have your personnel. But to be historically bad offensively in 2018, one of the worst offenses since 1985, uh, I, I think that was the nail in his coffin. When he just looks completely lost offensively, yeah. The lean on Mike McCoy's as offensive quarter maintainer, which was a terrible decision. You fire him, you promote Byron Left, which who has no experience being an offensive coordinator, and you go into this year without basically any knowledge of, of how to turn an, a, a poor offense around. Like you, you didn't come up with any solution as the season went on, and they didn't imp- they got worse as the season went on. We talked about it early in the on in the season, Blake, and I'll give you credit. You mentioned early on that if you didn't see things improving, you, you saw the possibility of, of Wilkes getting fired. And I, I yeah. kind of poo pooed that idea the first month. I said, there's no way they're going to fire him because I, I didn't think things would get this bad. Yeah. And by this bad, I, I mean, they were getting blown out every other week. And when you're getting, when you're not competitive, it's one thing to be, you, you see the record three and 13 and you can be a competitive three and 13 is crazy. That sounds, I mean, the Browns even last year, Oh, and 16 were in a lot of games. I mean, they almost went to Lambeau Field and, and beat the Packers and lost in overtime. So it, it can it can happen where you're a competitive losing team. We see it a lot. The Cardinals were so I, I don't even know how to describe it. They just had no interest of, of playing football on so many Sundays. They they gave up, they quit, they were incredibly soft. Anytime they faced a little adversity, they gave up. And and here's what I'll say about this the season finale in Seattle saying mm-hmm. we're gonna play hard for Steve Wilkes. If it takes you to week seventeen to want to save your coach's yeah. job against against Seattle, who who may or may not be in it, depending on you know what they had on the line. I mean, they were in the playoffs already. If it takes you that long to play four competitive quarters of football when we hadn't seen that since the Packer game that that doesn't tell me nearly enough and and 
you know, Steve, again, it, 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 we, we say it every week, like he's a nice guy. We, we wanted him to succeed. You know, there are pieces out there right now, the question race, which I mean, you can absolutely, you have every right to do that. You can question that the fact that a lot of the minority coaches are being let go and they don't get the same slack as the um, Caucasian coaches, the white coaches. I think that's true. I, I think that's absolutely true. I think it's sometimes a boys club with the, with the, with the white coaches in the NFL. I don't want to get too much into that. Yeah. But I, yeah, so, if, yeah. I was going to say, even with that, I, said, I think it was an article that someone had talked about how with the Cardinals, this in their spot in their situation with having their offensive coordinator, once Byron left, which took over, they had the kind of their big three were all, you know, minority, minority coaches for the most part. And so that yeah. showed out the trend, at least I think goes back to, you look at, you know, the 2017 draft, you saw Mitchell Trubisky was drafted ahead of, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Yep. So I think a lot of it is just, it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of trends for people to be able to overcome. And even when you look at Josh Rosen was the fourth quarterback drafted. I think that uh, from what his standpoint was, at least you would have thought that maybe he would have gone ahead of a Josh Allen in some cases, maybe people look at Allen as a super athlete and that fits, but a lot of it is just that there's other biases you have to kind of get over. And I think a lot of it is just going to take, it's going to take time to be able to get it done. But people who are going to be, I think, razzing on Arizona for letting Wilkes go, I think for one thing, the Cardinals at least backed up a bit was the point differential. You saw at least he had to watch the games. And I think that whoever the head coach was, you know, whether it was, you know, anyone from Jim Tom Sula to you or me, I think they would have probably been let go after the first season. And you're not then giving Arizona the credit for hiring Steve Wilkes in the first place, considering that there was a couple of options that are out there, even some of the options the Arizona Cardinals are looking at this year that we'll get into at least for that too. So I think you can't really throw the baby out with the bath water and be able to put everything into one category when it doesn't go a certain way. You also can't jump, I think, onto the extreme on the other side and say, oh, well, look, they just gave him one single year at least for that one. But there's nothing wrong. With that. I, think, I think that you're totally right on about how there's definitely biases in the league. Some of that is human nature. Some of that is just also how it is with business too. But when it comes down to it, I don't think that you can take theirs on the Cardinals, as Ken Summer said, has been one of the more progressive teams in the league with you know female coaches, with being able to hire in from within minority hires. They've been one of the more progressive teams that we've seen, especially under Michael Sidwell. Yeah, absolutely, Blake. I I, I, uh, I question um, certain pieces that are cut and dry about the, the racial factor because I've I've watched this franchise operate with an African American GM and an African American head coach. Um, but I think you and I were both excited with with the fact that not only did we think they were getting a good coach, but we like we liked the perception of that. We wanted this franchise to be progressive. We didn't want to be saddled with what's gone on like in Carolina with their owner who had passed away and had kind of those racial undertones and what kind of goes on with Jerry Jones. Like we wanted the Cardinals to be viewed as a destination franchise for minority players and minority coaches. And you wanted and it I, to be like a Bruce Arians. You wanted to yep. be, you were the last team to hire and you wanted to get one of the best guys. Who's one of the cream of the crop and being That's like, right. this, this is where we're not going after the Pat Shermers. We're not going after the Josh McDaniels for those ones. At least it was, that was how the perception was. Now maybe that's been part of the issue and part of the problem was, you know, the team taking so long with their, the process. I, I do think that they are going to move quicker, but I, I would at least agree with you overall is that that's part of the approach the team had. And that's why I do think that Wilkes ultimately when he was talk about reasons why he was a one and done, I think that it was ultimately that failure to change you to adapt where you saw the team get worse versus better down the stretch, especially like, I mean, there were, you know, two wide open, you know, blown coverages from the zone defense that they've been playing all season. They kept cutting players left and right because they weren't getting the performance that they were needing from the corners. Guys just couldn't pick up at least the defense. And I, I, I remember at least when it all comes down to with uh, Michael Bidwell saying, Hey, we talked to, 
well, what was Steve Wilkes' plan for 2019? We didn't find it satisfactory. So the question that you would have to say was, was it just hire a new OC or was it more of, hey, we just need to do more of the same. I just need more time. It, whatever reason, it seemed like what Steve Wilkes, when we talk about being in over his head, it was he saw where the issues were but did not know how to fix them or if the issues required him taking a hard look in the mirror and having to say, hey, I need to change who I am. He wasn't willing to make those changes. And that ultimately, I think, is why he's not back. If he had a good, solid plan for 2019, I think that Michael Bidwell and Steve Kime would have wanted to bring him back because ultimately he is a good guy and they did like him and I think it was just proven again and again where you go to the last you know the last stretch of the season with the Cardinals and their finishing schedule the last game of the season aside but they fought and you still saw hey they scored too soon you saw the season kind of fall away with a you know perfectly completed pass you know Josh Rosen's getting pressured they end up kind of protecting him enough where he throws a great pass on third down they uh, Trent Sherfield drops it where you're like, oh, okay. So they just have to kick the field goal. You give Russell Wilson two minutes and that's how the game ends. And then you look at the halftime where you see that they just were not prepared when it's third down and long. And they basically have to either kick the field goal at the time that's up. There's no timeouts or they have to just do one quick throw right up to the outs, get a little bit further so you can get your kicker to kick the field goal. You go into halftime with the lead. You'd be beating the Seahawks on the road going into the half. And instead, there's no out routes that were being run, at least that the situation just was not aware of what was going on. And Rosen takes a sack. The one thing that they couldn't do, they're out of field goal range. It's like, okay, maybe we just need to like spike it, but it's fourth down. It was just a case where everything that was happening, it just looked like they were completely overwhelmed when it came to that situational football. And I think that's the biggest reason why he was canned was you had these clutch key moments that turn games around and you saw those happen like two or three times a game where I was just like uh, blown coverage here. Oh, run right up the middle. There's so many times that that happened with Steve Wilkes. And that's why I think that ultimately it's, I don't feel like that he should have come back. I think if you wanted to reshape the whole entire culture around this running the football defensive thing and get him more of the guys that were there, I think that you probably could have made an argument for that with keeping him in time and then moving on after the 2019 season. But I, I think it became very clear that you had to kind of move on from this guy. He just was not the right fit for the job. He sold himself as differently than, than what the product ended up being on the field. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I just feel like he was in over his head early on, especially when you consider all the offensive struggles that the Cardinals had. I think Steve Wilkes, and we've talked about this before, could work. Again, down the line, number one, if he learns from his mistakes and if he ever gets a chance to inherit uh, an offense or, or a veteran team that's got a franchise quarterback where he only have to, has to worry about the defense. Um, but with the NFL, with, with everything that's trending toward offense, I just I feel like his style of coaching is kind of ancient, right? It's kind of the dinosaur, the mantra, right? He's not a super innovative guy. And you've got to be that in, in 2018. Unless like, like Mike Tomlin, who got, you know, a Hall of Fame quarterback and, you know, he really didn't have a specialty on either side of the ball. I think that's what Cardinal fans were hoping they were getting was, was somebody like that. But Tomlin can at least identify issues on, on offense and defense uh, and the some of that came with experience, but man, I, I think Steve Wilkes would have benefited from a franchise quarterback already in place, some kind of foundation offensively where the wheels wouldn't have fallen off so quickly. Um, you know, had he inherited like San, or excuse me, the LA Chargers roster with Philip Rivers and some key pieces there, where they they knew what they wanted to do, they knew who they were. The Cardinals, and I think this this is this is an indictment on ownership and, and the GM thought they were going to rebuild on the fly, retools they called it, and compete this year which was idiotic. The, the off-season moves 
were a disaster. And then I think Steve Wilkes kind of bared the, the brunt of that. So it's fortunate. It, everybody made it, it made huge mistakes this year. Nobody is without fault. Yeah. And I think that's important to emphasize. Steve Kai, Michael Bidwell, everybody deserves blame. But at the end of the day, who's done more for this for this franchise? Michael Bidwell owns the team. He's not going anywhere, but to, to the chagrin of a lot of Cardinal fans. And then Steve Kime, we talked about it, has had success with this team before. So who's the fall guy? Steve Wilkes, who has not proven he can do it. And again, I, I just keep going back to this. When you've got a rookie quarterback on the five-year deal and you want to take advantage of this window and additionally want to take advantage of the fact that if you don't get this higher right, this next hire, if you stick with Steve Wilkes, you could inevitably ruin Rosen's chances of becoming what you hope he can be. And that's a consistent top tier, top 12 franchise quarterback in the NFL. So you got to move quickly. So I, I, I think that it's more of we got to get Rosen right. We got to fix this now because without Rosen, this isn't going to work anyway. Everybody's going to lose their job. And clearly Wilkes was not the guy to take Rosen to the next level, to a competent level. Um, I think you and I both agreed. Had Rosen showed progress throughout the rest of this year, let's just say everything else defensively, they were what they were, but Rosen looked great, better each and every week, even to the point where like Sam Donald had that coming out game with Houston, I think Steve Wilkes would have gotten another year. I think they would have said, okay, things are going all right. We're going to keep Leftwich. Maybe we'll bring in a new quarterback coach. We're going to make some big-time upgrades in personnel on the offensive line, receiving core. Uh, he got worse as the season went on. He looked the best when he came in green, when he didn't have the, the pressure of starting and, and working under Wilkes exclusively. So, I, I And you think about go back to training camp last year. He looked unbelievable. He was clearly the best quarterback. So, you can make an argument. The more time he spent with Wilkes and this staff, the worse he got. And I think that the one of the biggest things that people will talk about is his coordinators, not only on offense, but defensively, just look so inept and over their head. And for Steve Wilkes, a first-time head coach with no offensive background, he needed to nail his coordinators. And he didn't. And so yeah. there, there was nothing to fall back on, and there's no reason to give him another year. Well, that's one of the other questions, at least with the coordinators, was we. it seemed like Volks was in charge of the defense. I know that up front, the, uh, the biggest name that we heard up front was that part of the reason why the Cardinals were interviewing John Filippo was that that was going to be the guy who Wilkes was potentially bringing on as his OC. That was what was originally being reported. It was like, oh, man, that would be like, you know, a great pairing, at least for a year, as you were assuming that Flip was going to be leaving for a head coaching job. Maybe it would have, you know, been a struggle after that. But then what ended up kind of shifting or changing was then I was like, okay, the narrative, they started interviewing other guys and then turned into being uh, Mike McCoy. So what I think a lot of people are wondering, at least, was with, Steve Kine being kind of a Mike McCoy guy, that was the number one candidate the Cardinals were moving afterwards, I think, in 2013 after Andy Reid fell through. They kind of missed out on their guy as well there. They seem to kind of miss out on a lot of guys just because that's been the state of the franchise. They kind of bring him in, and I think it ends up being a mistake. And so what's interesting to me was that um, just from looking at that first press conference of Steve Wilkes, I know we even had a podcast right after that Redskins game. And it was just like one of those spots where we're just like, oh my gosh, that press conference was just awful. It felt like that Steve Wilkes ultimately was looking at a broken car and being like, you know what, this is still right. It's all good. It's all good. Kind of like it felt like it was just being kind of a sell job. And I, that was what was 
the roughest thing to me because it was like, oh my gosh, it was so such a terrible interview. That was kind of the spot for me where I felt like that Wilkes was not going to change who and where he was. And I thought that was interesting that Bidwell and Kime brought up in their press conferences saying, hey, we made a mistake. Michael Bidwell said, I made a mistake, which you know, you'll rarely hear from any NFL owner. Steve Kime said, I'm at least humble enough to be able to like look past that and be able to get and learn from it. And to me, that was what was most interesting because I think it told me that's probably why Steve Kime still has a job is that he's saying, hey, I'll be able to have to take the ability and learn from this. You don't know if he's going to be able to or not, but the fact that he at least is, you know, trying to at least admit that he'd made a mistake and it had been done wrong and wanted to get better. That's what the Cardinals have to actually do to move on. And if Steve Wilkes was not willing to do that, that's why I think he's out of a job. And that's where he might be a great offensive coordinator. Hopefully he'll learn more from it. Uh, I think it was tougher than all the interviews that he had with, I, I know multiple times where someone said, Hey, you know, if you could basically go into 2019 with your game plan, like, what would it be? And he just said, I don't want to talk about that, which that was the biggest indicator to me of he didn't want to end up saying what his plan would be because either didn't have a plan or his plan was, I think that what I'm doing was right. I don't have the right talent around me, which is blaming the GM or it's because his whole game set would be doing the exact same thing until it ends up becoming successful. And I think that's the biggest thing that was curious to me is he could have just easily said, Hey, I would have learned from this year and just said, Hey, I wanted to make sure I can do things differently next year. I would adapt my talent much more to where my scheme is. I would make sure that when I'm going in, at least for next year, that I would have a better handle on the situational side of football. I'd also make sure that, you know, Hey, if I'm going with an offensive coordinator and I see that there's issues or problems that I don't make that mistake, whatever the hiring is next time. He didn't say any of that. He just completely punted the question after a short pause. And I think that was the biggest thing that was a concern to me was there was not nearly enough commitment to change from Steve Wilkes. And that's part of why the Cardinals have moved on. And that's a learning lesson I think we can all have for whoever their next head coach is going to be. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm ready to, but this is as sad as this is, you know, we've talked about Steve Wilkes and the potential for him being gone for, for so many Since weeks Broncos now. Game. Broncos game yeah, was kind yeah. of what kicked we it off. Originally. Yeah. We can't even focus on the content on the field. So I think now we can officially put to bed the Steve Wilkes topic uh, wish him well. I hope he has a ton. Of, I hope he goes somewhere else, gets a job and, and kills it. And I, I think he's going to get a, a defensive coordinator job as soon as, you know, this offseason potentially he could go back to Carolina. I think he's going to be potentially in demand as a defensive coordinator because we have seen players speak out for him. Peterson's come out and said, you know, I think he's the right guy. We've heard uh, retired players come out in his defense. So he's going to be fine. His family, they're going to be fine. He's getting a, a nice, hefty buyout. This is the NFL. This is the business. Um, you never want to be affiliated with the one and done club, but guys do just fine and he'll rebound. He's young enough to, he's going to get another job really quickly, but I think we can officially put to bed uh, the Steve Wilkes conversation and move forward to what we now uh, are going to feature. And, and most prominently until they find one is who is going to be the next coach head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. And it's interesting that during the press conference on Monday, Michael Bidwell mentioned that, uh, they were going to keep things close to the vest, uh, which I thought was strange because I thought they kept it pretty close to the vest last year. But uh, Jess Root pointing out on Twitter, basically, and I, I agree with this and first, that they didn't get who they initially wanted last year at head coach. I think that's evident. I think that they're, the Cardinals, to me, Blake, last year were not as clearly desirable of, of a position as they were now. And I think that a lot of people and a lot of – I'll give credit to a lot of media people – saying that roster is not very good. That that's a sneaky team for, for a top five, top three pick. And then a lot of people locally were like, well, we went eight and eight. We think there's a lot of talent on this roster. Mm-hmm. You think about where they were last year, Blake didn't have a franchise quarterback. 
period, didn't have even a quarterback on the roster to speak of, uh, were picking in the middle of the first round, weren't in a great cap situation, still had big-time question marks on the offensive line. David Johnson was coming in off an injury. Sure, you had, you had those key pieces defensively, but I, I think a lot of people saw this job a year ago and saw this coming. And so I think, you know, we, we talk about Pat Shermer, who declined an interview basically last year. I, I think the Cardinals are in a position now when you think about, okay, say what you want about Rosen. He's got, a, I think, a lot of promise still. I think there are people in this league, especially coaches that, that would like to work with him. I think that you're going to get patience now because you, you fired a coach after one year, you're going to get assurance. I think you could see a scenario if, if they get one of these marquee coaches for whatever reason, I think that I think he could see a, a big time deal where five or six years and you're guaranteed to be here even without after the GM, if Kyle were to lose his job, yeah. you've got the first overall pick and everything that comes with that. You've got the cap space. You've got a GM who knows he's got to be aggressive. Uh, I think the Cardinals job, it's not, I don't think by any means it's the best job out there, but I think, and this is not my homerism in play because you know, I've been critical of this franchise. I do think it's a top four job this off season. I think it's up there with Green Bay. I think it's up there. I think the Jets and the Browns are up there. Um, I think it's a better job than Tampa. Clearly Cincinnati, Denver to me, John Elway fires coaches left and right. They don't have a quarterback. I think that I think you could make an argument. It's better than Cleveland, not from a roster standpoint, but do you, you trust that ownership to not make quick decisions, especially now there's expectations in Cleveland that you got to come in and win right away. I think there's expectations yeah. with the Jets. There's not expectations with the Cardinals. You need to show improvement, but how hard is that when you're coming off a season like you have with Steve Wilkes and the Cardinals clearly saying, we got to get this right. And it's going to be a process. You just need to show, I mean, you could have a six and 10 season. I know Cardinal fans don't want to hear this and show improvement. Kyle Shanahan shows improvement every year with what he works with. I think the Cardinal job is a sneaky top three, four job this off season Green Bay, you're going to have expectations because you're going in with Aaron Rodgers. I think Cardinals for for coaches that are saying, "I want stability. Give me a quarterback. Give me cap space. Give me give me draft picks, and give my family." Because you think about this: if you're if you're a coach, if you're a prime candidate coach, I'm going to move my family across country, different time zone. We're going to get my kids settled in a school. I want someplace to know, and I think Arizona is a destination city already. I want my family to know that we're going to have a chance to really put roots down here. And there's not going to be serious expectations for me, maybe even until year three. I know that's crazy to say, but with Michael Bidwell and what he's seen, I mean, with, with Steve Wilkes and going one and done, I think it's, I think there's an opportunity Blake for the, for the next head coach to be, to be a name that I think surprises a lot of people. And it could be a name that, that some people say, hey, how did they how did they manage to corral that guy? I don't think it's going to be a retread. I think it's going to be somebody with some pedigree. Yeah, I think that the retread approach, it feels kind of like if you went through with your slow, steady approach, this is going to be kind of usually teams go the opposite. I think you would try to go for a splashy hire with a hotter name. I think that would make a lot of sense. It's part of why uh, some of the list of who they're viewing as far as candidates, I was a little bit, oh, that's, that's different than I expected. I was expecting to kind of have a little bit more of some of the retread names, but instead it's going to be more of – all up-and-comers, all offensive guys. And we'll get into a little bit of that here in a second. I think the biggest thing that I would at least point out that I thought is interesting is a lot of how the Cardinals' job is going to be perceived, like you said, is I think that it's viewed at least as maybe a top-three job by guys, depending on what happens with the defense. Because if you're looking at this defense of saying, hey, we can get a guy who adjusts and fits to the personnel, you've got the talent that's already in place, the cap room, you'll be able to fill in pieces – 
I think that that's a little bit easier to see. It was more of the, whether it was coaching, the gap scheme, there was a lot of areas where I think that you could tell that Wilkes, Holcomb, the defense, however it worked, it just was not really sustainable or able to, to do what it did previously. So I think that whoever gets the job, whoever they bring in as kind of that defensive mind, if they're going to be someone who's adaptable can say, all right, Hey, we've got Chandler Jones. We've got maybe whoever they get with the, with the draft this year, we can get into some more draft stuff. Obviously <laughs> it will be part of the whole off season, but then they all of a sudden, if your defense kind of gets locked and back into kind of shape of where you can say, okay, maybe it's not going to be top six. Maybe you're looking at say, just get the defense up to a top 15 level with hints at the top 10. If maybe you can get a, you know, a, another type of pass rusher, have a good solid coordinator. Then all it comes down to is being able to have the offensive pieces, rebuild the line, find the weapons, which then that's going to come down to Steve Kime and then the right coach to put that together. We've seen the positive side of that in the past with you know, Deshaun McVay <clears throat> putting together some of that work with what he had to work with. Cardinals are in a very similar spot. You could also look at it as the, <clears throat> the other end of the spectrum of maybe this is something like the Cleveland job when you're talking about with, you know, where they were starting off with, I think it was, um, what was the year? It was a 2015 area, at least where Manziel was kind of the quarterback. Now, granted, obviously, Rosen's shown much more than Manziel has and doesn't have any of those types of same issues that Johnny Football, not you, Johnny Football, but Johnny's Football had. But they came in basically thinking, we've got this set up, we've got this established. And then the guy that they decided to go and get was Hugh Jackson for a few years and had another one and done and Rob Chudzinski. So that's kind of the biggest thing it's going to come down to, I think, is this hire is going to be what the Arizona Cardinals are going to need to turn that around. Uh, for some of that information, at least on who the Cardinals are going to hire, we went and interviewed um, one of the you know biggest NFL insiders on Twitter today, at least. Um, he's Albright NFL on Twitter, and we've got the interview that we'll be playing here for you with him next on the Arizona Cardinals coaching search and the latest for you as of January 1st, 2019. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans. Welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Uh, we're joined tonight, as always, by my co-host, uh, John uh, venerable john venerable as well as our special guest here in uh i guess you can't really call him an nfl blogger even though he has been accused of that in the past we've got our uh, twitter insider and nfl guru ben albright um, one of our you know the best qb minds i think if you love talking nfl draft like we do ben joins us tonight to kind of break down with the cardinals and their coaching search ben how are you doing so far I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> We're doing great, at least for that one. It's been a uh, busy, kind of tumultuous week. And it all capped off with the Arizona Cardinals turning Steve Kime into a one and done and keeping their general manager, at least uh, Steve Wilkes, I should say, at least was the one let go by the team. And uh, Ben, I, I want to start at least tonight, just as we talk about the Cardinals, where they are currently, and then as we look to the future in this head coaching search, a lot of fans seem to think this was maybe a six and 10 roster. You were getting David Johnson back. The defense, they didn't think it would tinker with too much. You thought this is going to be one of the worst rosters in the NFL, and end of the year, uh, you ended up being proved right again. Uh, ben, where did it all go wrong for Steve Wilkes and this team, in your opinion? Well, the first thing was, you know, you started off by hiring offensive coordinator Mike McCoy, who's, you know, as unimaginative as he has M's in his name. Uh, and then you have um, a... <clears throat> A situation where you have an offensive line that, um, you know, ended up being <laughs> uh, injured, but it was one that, that looked like it was going to get injured. It was a, it was a group of guys who've had problems in the past, uh, had injury issues. And so you got a rookie quarterback. Well, your quarterback core at the time was Sam Bradford, Mike Glennon, and, and a rookie quarterback. 
uh, an offensive line that looked like it was kind of <clears throat> going to be in tatters. Um, you were getting Johnson back, which is a plus, but then you start looking at the receiving core and, you know, as much as we all love Larry Fitzgerald, he's on the, you know, he's at the end of the line. Um, you know, you look at the rest of that receiving core and you had some young some flashes from some young talent, but not, nothing that really jumped out at you as being, uh, you know, anything anybody was scared by. And then you're making a defensive transition. You're moving from, you know, what you previously had to uh, Wilkes version of the, of kind of a Tampa two. And, um, <clears throat> you know, that, that it, you just didn't have the personnel, the bodies for what you're trying to do. Uh, and then, you know, you move on from Tyron Matthew, um, you know, some of the other issues that you go on, by the time you add all this stuff up and you, you know, you compare it to a division that looks like it's got a bunch of teams on the rise. When you look at, uh, you know, the Rams or where they are uh, at the beginning of the season, uh, the, the, the Niners, when they had Garoppolo, um, you know, and then the Seahawks being the Seahawks, um, you know, you, you kind of have a tough division. So it's just a confluence of factors. And, um, you know, I think it all came to a head. And then you look at a, you know, a first time head coach who, who looked in over his head all season. Um, you know, I think they made the right move. Ben, you mentioned Steve Wilkes just now being in over his head. I think a lot of Cardinal fans would agree with you. Uh, given though that he was let go after one season, should Wilkes, in your opinion, have been given more time or is that just kind of the nature of the NFL when you look, unfortunately, that inept as a head coach, you're better off moving on, especially when you've got a quarterback on the rookie wage scale and you want to try to maximize um, that amount of time. And then additionally, you know, was keeping Steve Kime a benefit or is, or is he a detractor at this point, given everything that's gone on off the field with his extreme DUI, the fact that he's kind of butchered uh, his last several drafts, um, what, what is your take really on, on how this year went from an administrative and coaching standpoint for the Arizona Cardinals? Well, I think it was bad across the board. <clears throat> and I think I'm not hundred percent sure Steve time's going to be back, uh, beyond this draft. Um, so, you know, just kind of keep an eye out on that. It's, it's a little bit different for front office guys because, you know, you're trying to, you've already started your evaluation process. You've already started that whole process. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit different as far as firing general managers. Generally, you don't do that till after, uh, the draft. That's, that's the end of their season as opposed to the end of the regular season for, you know, for coaches. So, you know, Black Monday for general managers tends to come after the draft. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, they haven't gotten the right personnel. They didn't get the right coach. And when, when, you know, when Wilkes came in, it looked like it because you looked at Carolina's defense over the last couple of years, they looked pretty good. And, you know, he, he's, uh, you know, he's a nice guy when you talk to him, you know, as far as that goes, but you know, in the end, he just looked lost with the in game. And so, I think they made the right move, pulling the plug. You're at a point where it doesn't really matter. This isn't a, you know, a one-year turnaround thing. So uh, pulling the plug on a guy who was obviously in over his head uh, at this point, your options were ride it out and hope he gets it or see if you can just start the rebuild from scratch with, uh, with somebody else with some core competency or someone you believe is core competent, uh, especially somebody who's going to um, – develop your young quarterback, which you didn't really have, uh, you know, previously, and, you know, Byron left, which, uh, you know, is kind of a name, but you know, who Byron hasn't really done all that much in the league to be honest with you. Um, so I, you know, I think they made the right move. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's talk a bit about then the perception with football regarding the Cardinals with their ownership. The GM, they were the uh, outside of a Josh McDaniels backing out the last team to hire uh, a head coach last year. A couple of their top picks that they probably would have liked in a Pat Shermer went ahead and picked other teams ahead of them. Is there anything as far as regarding the ownership or the general manager, at least, that's going to be a detractor? They seem to have a, a little bit of a step forward from where they were last year, but really then it does depend on how teams feel about Josh Rosen since that's really the only piece that they have that's different now from last year, unless you want to count Larry Fitzgerald eventually coming back and he's again on the fritz of this year. So talk about a bit the, about the Cardinals organization then around the league. Well, there's some pluses and some minuses. Um, you know, they're willing to invest in guys that, you know, they can get them championships. Um, you know, we, we saw, uh, you know, the Bruce Arians thing. We saw, um, you know, the run that they made when, uh, when they had Kurt Warner out there, they're willing to make some moves and they, they've had opportunity before with, um, you know, with those things. The, the problem is, is that there's been a reticence to, you know, to stick with things. There's been a reticence when, <clears throat> when the ball gets dropped. And then, you know, the talent evaluation over the years, the Cardinals been hit or miss. They've, they've done really well in spades and then they've done really bad in spades. And, you know, that's, it's kind of interesting to look at that and wonder what the, um, you know, what the reason is for that, uh, that kind of flux, you know, um, you know, overall, I think you're going to wind up with a coach that's um, the job itself. And I hate to say this. The job is kind of viewed as a second tier job because you've got a general manager, you know, is on the ropes at best, um, you know, and if they bring in a new general manager, is he going to want to bring in his coach or his guy? Um, so the job is kind of kind of tough because, yeah, while you do have a young quarterback that you just drafted, uh, league opinion on him was split. You know, there were people that loved him and there were people that really, really didn't like him. I know, you know, multiple teams in the top 10 that had him completely off the board. Um, so, you know, you have to have a coach that wants him. You have to have a coach that understands that that general manager is probably not going to be there and he's going to have to have a hand at getting his guy to be the general manager or have to deal with, you know, somebody he's not familiar with working with and they want to bring in his guy. Uh, so it's a complicated situation. And, you know, I think that, um, it, it, that what that lends to is that some of the top tier names um, aren't going to either look at the job or are going to say, well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to need a six year guaranteed deal, kind of like what Kyle Shanahan got, um, you know, in, in an effort to come in, in order to come out here. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Great point. And I think it's always going to be viewed as a second tier job until they consistently win and, and, um, and have a sustained amount of success. And so I think that's, that's definitely warranted. So let's get on Ben to, I think what a lot of the fans are, are chirping in about are anxiously awaiting is the latest on, you know, the coaching search. Uh, we both Blake and I feel like it's going to be aggressive search compared to the last two times that they're probably going to go with an offensive guy. You know, we, there's a, a name, a list out there, but what are you hearing as far as the coaching search as of, as of today with the Arizona Cardinals? Well, they definitely want to go offense. Um, <clears throat> they want somebody who's who can uh, develop Rosen. Uh, they want somebody. They want that to be the the highlight. They figure like uh, Rosen is marketable, and that's going to be the marquee way to go. Uh, you know, going forward. Um, so they think that that's you know that's kind of the way to do things. Uh, they've reached out to several different people. Uh, Mike McCarthy, and he, you know, he kind of told them no. Um, and that would have been a good get. I think that would have been a good get for them. Um, but he, you know, he told them no. Um, you know, so they're reaching out to, to other different names. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people around the league right now reaching out to Cliff Kingsbury. I don't think that's for a head coach, even though it's a head coaching interview, it's not really for a head coaching job. Uh, most people want to 
kind of pick Cliff's brain and, you know, see if he's a fit as maybe an offensive coordinator, um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then pick his brain as far as, you know, translation of some college concepts to the pro game. But, you know, I, I don't really feel like that based on what I've heard that he's in serious consideration for any head coaching job, uh, despite, uh, having multiple interviews. Um, and then the, the big name I think to keep an eye on, uh, you know, for you guys is Adam Gase. Um, you know, Gase is a guy that's, you know, he's going to get some interviews, but, um, he's a guy who wants to keep being a head coach and he wants to kind of, um, you know, redeem the reputation that he has. And he's a guy who is still viewed as, you know, a quarterback developer around the league. Um, when Ryan Tannehill was healthy, the Miami Dolphins were very good, um, you know, when Gase was there, but, uh, the problem was his health. So, if Gase can get together um, down there in Arizona and get the right offensive line and, and everything, I, I think Rosen could put up big numbers. Now, the question is whether or not, you know, you can put the talent around him and, and build the defense that you need and whether or not people can, can kind of deal with his personality, which, you know, when he gets challenged, he tends to get, um, he tends to be a bit of an egotist and he tends to be a, a bit arrogant uh, to the point where he blew off ownership down there in Miami at one point um, after a game when the owner came up to talk to him and he said, not bleeping right now. So, um, you know, if you can deal with those things uh, and you're willing to have patience and you're willing to uh, pair him with a good defensive coordinator, um, and not let him kind of pick his buddies who have not been effective. Uh, I think you can, I think you get a winner there. Yeah. That's really interesting with Gase, especially since I know you've had some um, past experience with him as, you know, being a main Denver guy. Um, uh, let's talk about two of the three of the other names that are interesting. I know Johnny and I have heard that uh, Jim Caldwell is a possibility. At least I don't know if he's going to be a guy who ends up getting the job, but let's talk a little bit about some of the other names, at least like the Dan Campbell's uh, Eric the obviously is going to be a hot candidate with the Andrew Reed coaching tree. And then Zach Taylor is a name that I know you were pretty early on, especially with looking at the Jets job, the Rams quarterbacks coach, and kind of, I guess, maybe the right hand man in some ways to Sean McVay, who was a guy that the Cardinals, they coveted in 2016, but hadn't moved on yet from Bruce Arians. Uh, talk a bit about some of those options and how they would be viewed since these are guys that the Arizona Cardinals might be considering, especially if Gase ends up being a hot name around the league. Well, Caldwell is their fallback option. So they, they like Jim, but he's kind of the, the fallback option if they don't get their way. Um, you know, they feel like that they can get him. They don't feel like there's a lot of competition there. Um, and they, they feel like he's the fallback option. Now, if you look at the other guys that you mentioned, um, you know, Dan Campbell, uh, would be the head coaching option out of those. Zach would go with Dan, uh, to, it would be a, a paired item. Zach would wind up coming out as the offensive coordinator for Dan. And so that's what that interview is about. Um, so they work together in Miami, um, uh, you know, uh, down there with, uh, with, with Tannehill as well. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think that Zach's going to get a head coach job this bill around, but he's getting interviews and he's going to wind up probably with an offensive coordinator gig out of it. Uh, so I, I would suggest that, uh, that Dan Campbell is the real interview that you would be getting there. And, and, Zach would merely be picking his brain about the Rams and, you know, a division rival. And at the same time, uh, you know, kind of maybe looking to see if he's going to be your offensive coordinator. 
That's great. Um, how about Bienemy at least, since I know that he is getting an interview. And it's interesting since the Cardinals, when you look at Bruce Arians compared with Steve Wilkes, they really liked the dynamic type of personality that Arians brought and a lot of that offensive creativity. Bienemy's only had one year, at least as the KC coordinator. Is this a guy who could come in and wow them potentially as far as maybe fitting some of that mold and kind of being an opposite from the, you know, buttoned up very, uh, very, I guess you could say straightforward, just kind of strictly business Steve Wilkes, or is this going to be kind of more of a picking an offensive guy's brains at least and maybe not exactly pursuing that tree down there just yet considering you know this is maybe a slightly different from the Matt Nagy type of a hire yeah and the thing to to um to be careful about with the enemy where Nagy actually had some play calling experience and things like that um the enemy is really just the run game coordinator I mean, he's the OC, but he's not really the OC up there in, in Kansas City, uh, not in the way that Nagy was. You know, I got to see Bietami up close when he was the OC at Colorado for two years under John Embry, um, and it was bad. I mean, it was awful. Uh, he had no idea what he was doing. Um, he knows how to design a run game, but this passing stuff is, is the arm of Mahomes and the mind of Reed, and I would be very careful. I like Eric Bietami as a person, but I'd be very careful about expectations from Eric Bietami. Yeah, that's been kind of one of the biggest things that I've been a little bit um, concerned about, too. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out with um, with the rest of the interviews for him. But, yeah, thanks for some of that insight. As of right now, Ben, who's kind of the leading candidate that you would, if you had to pick one name, who would be the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals at, at this current time of you know, January, 8th, January 1st, 2019? Who would be the head coach uh, in the next couple of weeks to be announced? Well, I think the way it's trending is it's probably going to be Adam Gase. Um, just, just based on things I've been hearing that, you know, things can always change. This process is fluid and, you know, and people can, can impress in interviews and, and sway minds and things like that. But I think it's trending toward Adam Gase. I think, you know, ownership and, and the front office kind of has an idea of what they want to do. And, um, and I think that's Gase. The question or the tricky part of Gase is, you know, what's his staff? Is he going to pack it with his buddies again? Or is this going to be a situation where you get a legit, uh, veteran defensive mind to pair him up with, uh, and, and go from there? I think that, you know, if you do that, you're going to be okay. If you, um, you know, if you fail to do that and you let, uh, let him do, you know, pack that staff with, with friends and stuff, you know, you're probably gonna be looking for another coach in three years. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, it'll be interesting also to see how he would view Rosen, especially considering that there's been kind of mixed reports. Some said that he liked Rosen or loved him. Some say that he didn't like Rosen. I know that you were a guy who said that it was not really Josh Rosen, but Baker Mayfield was the person that he was looking at pre-draft. That's something you have at least for sure that you know that with Gase. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Gase was very, very high on Baker Mayfield, very high on him. Um, but, you know, Gase loved Ryan Tannehill, too. Gase is, you know, and Gase is a smart guy, um, and he likes smart guys. So I think that he would like Josh because whatever you feel about Josh's personality and whatever else you feel about Josh, Josh is an intelligent kid. And, you know, I think Adam will get along with him in that regard. So I don't think that that's something you have to worry about. Uh, I think that with Josh, it was more about front office and ownership than it was about coaches disliking him. Yeah, I appreciate that insight, Ben. And, you know, I've talked to Blake off the year. I, I think Gase would be a tremendous fit for this franchise, considering all the other options that are available this offseason. There's not that one ideal candidate, like you mentioned, for a franchise like the Cardinals. And Gase, you're, you're getting a head coach that's been to the postseason, that's won uh, a good amount of games, oftentimes with, with subpar quarterback play. I think the Cardinals will be fortunate to be able to get him in-house with Rosen. Moving on and, and kind of turning the clocks back, you know, 
Arians retired from this franchise in 2016, cited health problems, cited, you know, wanting to spend more time with his family. He was already well into his mid sixties. I think a lot of Cardinal fans and, and media, frankly, thought that that would be it for him. Now, a year later, we're starting to see his name start to trickle out within the media. Hell, he's, he's put it out there. He'd, he'd come back and coach for the Cleveland Browns. Now it's saying that the Tampa Bay, he'd, he'd be interested in that job. Is that more, you know, him just going through the motions of, of wanting to get back into coaching because he's been out of it for a year? Or would you look at that more as an indictment of the Arizona Cardinals and their front office that, that Aaron's is ready to get back so quickly, just not with their team? I think it's both. I think that there was a relationship there that was fractured. Um, you know, and people don't talk about that kind of stuff publicly, but you know, there was a relationship there. It was fractured and that was part of it. Um, I think the other part of it was, you know, his wife's health and, you know, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think that when you combine all those factors, it was, you know, it was time for him to, you know, to quote unquote, hang it up. But, you know, how many guys, you know, they, they retire and then they get that itch to do something, uh, you know, sitting around, uh, you know, I don't know anybody that, that just loves just sitting around, you know, you get to a certain point and you want to do things, you recognize you've got a limited amount of time left and, you know, you want to do things. Uh, legacy starts to matter more. And so, you know, I think with Bruce, he, he got out, um, you know, he's been doing what he's been doing, but he got the itch, you know, to get back in and maybe leave that, leave that mark, that legacy. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of the direction that's headed. I, I personally think he's going to wind up in Tampa. Um, I don't think that he's going to wind up in Cleveland. There's still an outside shot there, but, uh, I, I think that he's going to wind up in Tampa. The situation that in Tampa is that, you know, Jason Light wanted to hire him right away. The Glazers, um, you know, were a little reticent to let him hire his buddy. Um, you know, and bring them in. So they hired a quote unquote coach searching firm, um, you know, to come in and make the process fair. Uh, but I still, I still think they're going to wind up with areas. Quick follow-up. When you talk about the fractured relationship, potentially or semi-fractured relationship with, with the Cardinals, do you think that's more of surrounding, you know, there's been talk that Arians wanted to move up for Patrick Mahomes, like Deshaun Watson. Then you hear people talking out of both sides of their mouth that Arians wanted to try to win now with, with Carson Palmer is it a difference of philosophy down the stretch with maybe Steve Kimes and, and some of those draft picks? What, what do you think led to that? I guess part of it. I, I don't want to get too deep into the speculation portion of it, but I'll say that he was not happy in certain instances with some of the um, ingredients that he was supposed to bake the cake with. And I'll leave it at that. Interesting. All right. Definitely, uh, definitely interesting. So uh, one thing, uh, at least before we just kind of jump into on um, talking about with some of the, uh, just the future with the Cardinals and how that future does tie into Rosen and uh, just kind of reviewing that first season, uh, two other names that kind of, that have been floated out there as far as offensive mind. One of them obviously is the Browns with Freddie Kitchens, who probably isn't going to be getting a head coach shot. You'd think outside of the Browns organization, and maybe it's just for returning as the OC, unless there's anything information you'd have for that. And then one of the other guys I've liked it, at least the Jets are offering him an interview, which is the Todd Monken, who is the Bucks coordinator from last year. What, what are some of your thoughts on those two, at least as far as offensive line and potential hires, especially if, let's say, the Cardinals end up missing out on Gase for whatever reason and they have to kind of look at some other different options on the offensive side? Well, I think Todd Monken would be great. I don't think he's in play there, but I, I think he would be great. I think he will be great. Um, you know, he's a guy I really like, but. Um, you know, I, I don't think that he's he's going to play there. You mentioned uh, Freddie Kitchens. Kitchens is uh, is probably not going to get head coaching interviews outside of Cleveland, um, and I, I suspect he'll either be the Browns' offensive coordinator or the Bucks' offensive coordinator with Arians uh, next year. 
Definitely. That seems to be kind of the prevailing thought. What's kind of the perception that at least with Josh Rosen around the league, especially after this first season, a lot of cases it looked very similar to how Jared Goff looked his first season. So I think that led to a lot of questions about, you know, not just where his ceiling is about the talent surrounding him, but then some of that about even if Arizona does kind of be able to provide him with an offensive line and weapons, what's kind of the ceiling at least that you're currently seeing for him? Is this someone that the Cardinals are going to be able to look at as being that guy for the next 10 to 12 years? Or are we going to be talking about this as being maybe a Ryan Tannehill point two type of situation for the Cardinals in a few years from now. What, what do you, what's your insight on that? Well, I think that, you know, it's not fair to judge Josh on a lot of what, a lot of the tape that, that they put up this year, because, you know, he was playing with a third string offensive line and, you know, fourth string receivers and, and, you know, things like that. Now, you know, I've always been a proponent that a great quarterback elevates the talent around him, but you know, it's, it's, it's Josh's first year. You got to cut him a little slack for that. So, um, you know, I look at the, you look at the tape and you see, you see some flashes here there. You see some great throws here and there. And, you know, you see the, the, the promise, uh, you know, that's there. It's, it's worth taking another shot, you know, another year or two uh, to, to see if it develops full time. But, you know, there were also a, a lot of moments of just bad. I mean, just bad, uh, you know, watching that stuff. So, um, you know, you really need somebody that's going to put him in a comfortable position, start from the ground up, put him in some, put him in a situation where he can make that first throw. Okay. Now you got that out of the way. Okay. Now let's go a little deep. Let's make a second throw. All right. Okay. Now let's get that next first down. Now, and once you start to build that foundation, Josh is that kind of guy that, you know, you lay the framework, you lay the foundation and he just, he gets steamrolling, he gets to going. And so, you know, I think you need to find a coach that's, uh, that, that, that knows how to put him in a rhythm. Uh, and, and that's why I think, uh, you know, Gase, uh, he's probably perfect for that job. He's one of those guys that does that. He'll he'll get your quarterback and he figures out a way to get him two or three easy throws early, get him in a rhythm, and then get him moving, you know, as you get going. Totally agree. Um, moving on to, to the defensive side of the ball, uh, Ben, Patrick Peterson midseason was pretty adamant publicly, came out, demanded a trade, walked it back a little bit, but it clearly he's not happy with the direction of the team, wants to be a, at this point uh, on a championship caliber team, try to win that ring uh, as he enters the latter stages of his career, probably going to the Hall of Fame one day. What do you think the probability is? I would personally have it on the record. I, I would move him this offseason considering the state of the team. What do you think the likelihood that the team entertains offers for him in the offseason, or do you believe an extension could be worked out? I think you'll see some, you know, I think you'll see them try to feel out other teams and see what they feel like they can get. Um, you know, I, I don't think that they're going to move him without, you know, people paying the premium and I'm not hundred percent sure people are going to want to pay that premium, uh, unless they're a, you know, a bona fide contender looking for a, you know, for a couple of year corner who's, you know, at, at the prime, but you know, getting a little older. Um, so, you know, I, I think that they'll certainly seek out, uh, you know, offers in terms of, you know, well, you know, what do you got for him? But I don't know that they necessarily will be able to move him given, uh, their expectation in terms of, um, you know, value. That seems to make a lot of sense, at least with the Cardinals, especially considering that they are hoping they can kind of win with a rookie quarterback on the roster, at least while they've got all that contract, uh, got all that contract and I should say it's cap flexibility for that. Uh, yeah, so I think overall, uh, yeah, th uh, that's all the questions I think that I have, at least for the most part. Uh, ben, thanks so much again for being able to jump on and get us into the 
uh, nitty gritty of this coaching search, at least in the Cardinals, the player they're at. It's uh, definitely important off season. Again, make sure that if you aren't following Ben and if uh, you're listening to this podcast, I'd hope that you already are, but it's at Albright with two L's NFL. Uh, you can go ahead and make sure. Uh, apparently, everyone I hear was uh, just unblocked for this year, Ben. So it might be a few new people, at least, who will be able to, uh, to go back and follow. <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, I started the unlocking script. It's, it's taken a while. I think we've, we've, uh, we've unblocked about 6,800 accounts last time I checked about 20, 30 minutes ago. And uh, <laughs> so we got about 8,000, 8,000 more to go to unblock. So <laughs> uh, goodness. Well, it's a new year, new Ben. So that's how it is. Well, thank you again so much for being able to join us tonight. Thanks, Ben. Oh, no problem guys. Take care. All right. Have a good one. All right, we're back at least. So, uh, John, let's break down some of that talk at least for the most part because Ben, he seemed like – I don't think it was him trying. I think that there is positives that you can see at least that yeah. he was looking at from Rosen, from the coaching staff in the areas that they're – we don't have to necessarily like you know join some Cardinals fans on the ledge here. We at least have some ability to get the right guy, at least talk some of them off with that. What were some of your thoughts from the interview that we had with Ben just a second ago? I, I thought he gave tremendous insight and I think he's so in tapped and in the know with regard to these coaching searches that perfect guy to bring on because I think the Cardinals are going to move quickly to find their next head coach. And it, I, it, it's interesting. I, I loved the name Adam Gase since the time he was fired. I thought that'd be a perfect fit. And it sounds like he does as well. And I, I, he says right now, odds are that he could be the next head coach. I can change. Um, I thought it was really interesting that he mentioned Dan Campbell coming in with Zach Taylor as, mm. as his offensive coordinator. I, I like that. I don't love that. I like it in the sense that you get two young guys, energetic guys, Zach, who knows the division, Dan, who can motivate players. You saw that in his time with, with Miami as the interim coach, did a nice job. And, and you talk about the opposite of Steve Wilkes can own the press conference. I mean, that, that was kind of his MO. They, they nicknamed him man Campbell in <laughs> Miami because he just, he came across as just a man's man, right? But you worry, Zach Taylor leaves eventually for a head coaching job. Can Dan Campbell get the most out of this franchise? And so that's yeah. kind of putting the, the cart before the horse. If you have success, you, you worry about that later. But I, I'd, be, I'd be concerned, but I wouldn't hate it. Cliff Kingsbury, to me, I echo what he thought. I thought this was always the case. You're picking his brain like you did Filippo, and you're thinking to yourself, maybe he's a future O.C., Maybe you bring on somebody like a Jim Caldwell. Maybe Kingsbury can come in and be the, the coach in waiting. Caldwell, I, I echoed this on Twitter, and, and he reaffirms it. Caldwell is their, their ultimate fallback, the guy that they can go to last and say, we got a coach who's been to the postseason. He's got a winning pedigree, and he does, but he's 64 years old. If he was yeah. 54, I think he'd be one of the hottest names on the yeah. market. Probably still have his job in Detroit. Uh, and then with Eric Bannemi from Kansas City, uh, I, I agree with all of his points. I think that mm-hmm. he's somebody you can roll the dice on and the same light that, you know, Frank Wright did a nice job in that same coaching tree um, that you, you look at and you read the pedigree that he's had with having success with, with some of his coaching, uh, with his coaching tree and, the, and some of the individuals that have worked underneath him. But man, when you talk about the fact that he really only kind of runs the run game in Kansas City, which the run game plays off of the passing yeah. game. And there's some and of that I know is like the passing game is some areas like the wide receivers talked about how they felt more comfortable in his offense compared with last year. So perhaps there's an area or room of some growth for the most part, but that was kind of his responsibility for years and years. And that's like the only kind of known quantity that you would have with him right now. And that's also as a former running back that he was as well, too. So that would be kind of the one thing that you would I guess question with him is how much of that's going to be because he's never called plays before either. Are you trusting him to be the play caller or are yep. you 
adding Bienemy, adding in the scheme, all the things that he's learned and absorbed as far as the run game. Has he learned enough from the passing game from Andy Reid with the design where like what the receivers talking about how they appreciate the way that he's done things. Has he absorbed enough where you say, Hey, we got a guy who's got the scheme, the scheme and everything is in place and how he's designing is flexible enough. Now we just bring in a play caller and bring in someone at least in addition to kind of be the guy who will call plays for that scheme. And then that's going to be kind of how your setup is going to be with having a dynamic guy. Cause he, he is a dynamic personality, a nice guy, a leader, kind of like not, not quite Arians, but he's a guy whose smile will be able to, you know, light up the room is a good way. I think I could at least, uh, yeah, but I agree with that. And I like him a lot as far as a person. It's like one of those spots of where you feel like you'd be getting kind of a little bit of a mix of some of the Arians and a little bit of, you know, some of the, uh, the bowls and maybe even some of the Wilkes and far as for the way that he talks, but it's just, it's managed and as all the difference. So I think that's going to be the one interesting one that would be kind of the wild card of maybe you fall in love with the person and then he's able to, with the Andy Reid tree, be able to put enough things in place for sustainability. You can say, all right, we know that we're going to see an offensive step forward. Maybe you can pair that guy with the veteran, you know, defensive coordinator and find a veteran play caller. Maybe that is even a situation where, you end up having Bienemy as your head coach. You bring in Caldwell for a year or something like that as like a guy who can help through for some of that stuff. And then maybe that's what you build around. I'm I'm not sure if that's the direction where they're going to be going, though. That's kind of the biggest takeaway I think that was interesting was if you could look for kind of who the perfect hire was as far as for the Cardinals, you would have picked Mike McCarthy first, I think, obviously, because the pedigree, the Super Bowl, and then also the fact of not just the stability, being able to have the play caller and the quarterback developer, but just the fact of usually you always flip to the opposite side. If you're hiring a first-time NFL uh, NFL head coach who's been a coordinator before usually you flip back the switch to the other side and find a guy with a lot of experience previously and that's exactly kind of what I think McCarthy was he clearly is not coming out to Arizona the best two jobs on the market are available first in the Browns and the Jets the guy who's kind of the second hottest name out there then is Adam Gase and that's something that is intriguing because you're right there's some of the positives at least that we've seen at least with Tannehill the team being competitive the biggest negative seemed to be more of just the you know, a little bit of a fireball uh, for some of Ben even talked about, at least. I know some of the players weren't really on his side at the end. Others of them were really defending him on the way out the door, at least. What do you think, at least as far as with a Gase, with how it works with Rosen? Is this going to be a spot of where, you know, questioning like, wow, why did they hire Adam Gase? Because he isn't really, you know, developed guys. He just worked for Peyton Manning. Or are we going to be looking at this as he entered kind of a bad situation with the Dolphins? He was having his first time as a head coach maybe you learn from some of this to come back but what are some of your thoughts at least if this is kind of the this isn't just the you know maybe the top name this is the first guy they're interviewing the whole offseason he interviews wednesday with the team that, that's tomorrow he <laughs> just made a beeline straight to adam gates it seems like for the arizona cardinals so far this year i, I think he's their top choice i think they're going to try to move quickly so then he can put together a quality staff i think they want to take advantage of the fact that the postseason is still going on that coaches are going to still be in the flux interviewing i, I think they want to take the opposite approach of the last two off seasons and i can't say i blame them with the last two coaching searches i should say i think adam gase is the the logical choice again you're not going to get that prime candidate you're not going to get that jim harbaugh you're not going to get somebody that's going to come in here and be the, the number one target because this is the arizona cardinals they are historically irrelevant they have had uh, ups and downs uh historically they've had a nice run here in the the last what century or so or the last excuse me the last decade but yeah. at, at the same time you've got to be realistic and here's what I'll say about Adam Gase. Adam Gase went to dysfunctional Miami in his first year with a team with a lot of personalities and Dominic and Sue, and he won 10 games and probably should have beaten the Pittsburgh Steelers in the postseason had Ryan Tannehill 
not gotten hurt. And I believe Matt Moore got hurt in that game as well. And the game was almost tied at half. He, I thought he put, he put a whooping on Bruce Arians and the Arizona Cardinals. I know the score was closer than it indicated, but anybody who watched that game in, in the 2016 season, when the Cardinals went to Miami and they had David Johnson and Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald, the Cardinals lost to Ryan Tannehill who smoked them for three touchdowns and in route for the Dolphins going to the postseason. Now, these last two seasons have not been ideal because that's no. been the, the MO with, with Tannehill's. He can't stay healthy. Likes to move around a little, little bit too much. I watched him beat New England this year with a backup quarterback. He has put together a nice run. When he's had Ryan Tannehill in his last 14 games, he's won 13 of them. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's a real stat. When you give him, and I think we all agree that Rosen has a higher ceiling than Tannehill. I know they were kind of drafted in the same position. Maybe some would disagree. Rosen was a blue chip prospect coming out of UCLA. Tannehill was a converted wide receiver quarterback coming out of Texas A&M. I think Tannehill is a better, probably a better athlete than a quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. You, you put Adam Gase with, with Josh Rosen and you give him time to coach him up, to get the quality personnel around him. I think that he could take this franchise and have sustained success. I'm not, I don't know if they could be a Super Bowl contender. I think that more has to do with the roster in place clearly. But I, I think if you're looking for somebody who you can sell to the fan base that ha- has won before, I mean, the biggest thing for me is like Miami, historically great Super Bowls, all that good stuff. They have been, they're like the Raiders now, in, in my opinion, a lesser extent of the Raiders. They have been irrelevant. Mm-hmm. They've got shady ownership. They love to fire people. They love to throw stupid money around in free agency. That's not a great place to play. They don't yeah. turn out in their fan base. And their head they're, coach was safe three weeks before the end of the season. And then all of a sudden things just devolved. And then maybe the 42-7 loss, maybe it was a little bit of giving up at the end. Maybe there was just a bit of a stick in the mud. But it just yep. seemed like the tension just over the last three weeks just completely broke down. Gates was kind of the one guy who was kind of like three weeks before. He was like, hey, he's a lock to return next season at least for that one. And then all of a sudden just – and then he just lets go. <laughs> Four teams, I think, jumped right on interviewing him. Yep. I'm not comparing this at all, but Bill Belichick was fired by the Cleveland Browns. I mean, like, bad franchises make, continually make bad positions. I mean, who did, who did the Miami Dolphins, with no, no quarterback to speak of, think they're going to get that, that's a better coach than Adam Gase? Adam Gase, a couple years ago, was the hottest coaching candidate in the NFL. Peyton Manning loves him. Speaks. You talk about the anti-Mike McCoy in terms of their time with Denver. Gase, to me, I think is, is a much more proven coach. Now, Here's what I'll say, and I think you're going to allude to this, Blake. Mm-hmm. Around the NFL, he's not beloved by everybody. He can be a little bit of a hothead. I'd rather have a yeah. coach with some emotion than none at all. He's got he's got a little bit of Todd Haley in him, and 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 I think that that's probably a I fair that's comp. Fair. Yeah, it's a fair comp. But at the same, like John Elway, point blank, when he was asked at his press conference, is Gase a candidate? He said, "No, not at this time." Mary Kay of the Cleveland. Uh, Post Dispatch or whatever their, their paper is. He's not a candidate for the Browns job. Now, Jason uh, McIntyre, the big lead, said that the Packers are interested. They haven't requested an interview yet. I'm not sure that's the greatest fit with Rodgers, their personalities, but you can argue Rosen has a similar personality. He's done less in this league. I think the Cardinals are in a, a unique spot because they don't have a ton of competition for him. It's not going to go back to Miami. He's not going to Cleveland. He's not going to Denver. We don't think he's going to Tampa Bay. We think uh, what, what we heard from Benjamin, Arians is bound for Tampa Bay. So then that leaves who else? The Jets who could be in play, maybe the Packers. And then who else am I missing the other opening that, that I haven't named? Oh, there's um, 
this is the Jets and the Browns, but then and on the box, the Broncos are one, and then yeah, and oh, the Bengals, the Bengals, and, and you would think the Cardinals are ahead of the Bengals in terms of his choice. So really, in my opinion, if the Cardinals want Adam Gase, they're competing with the Packers and they're competing with the Jets. But yeah. I believe that the Cardinals will will give him if they if they get him in house first and they want him as their coach. They're going to give him a Kyle Shanahan type of deal where he could last longer than Steve Kime. Kyle Shanahan, if you don't know, got a six-year contract from the San Francisco 49ers, has some say in personnel. Uh, John Lynch is kind of seen as not a puppet GM, but clearly like his success is deemed to the draft. Uh, Kyle's, Kyle has a bigger picture, a bigger authoritative role within the organization. Could we see Adam Gase get something similar from Michael Bidwell, Blake? Uh, I, I don't know about that because I feel like with Bidwell, it's going to be really interesting to see how the candidates align because with Bidwell and Arians and Kime, there were kind of what, what really was great about that team from the 2013 to the 2015 season was all the egos were kind of essentially balanced, but they just made cardinal decisions where they understood, hey, Michael Bidwell's got a bit of limelight here, but he'll give up some of that. Steve Kime's got a bit of the choices here. He'll give up some of that. Bruce Arians has a bit of the limelight here. He'll give it up. Or I think things fractured was after that 2015 season where you had kind of the stardom and that's kind of how the relationship broke down. I think that where the relationship really broke uh, ultimately kind of was on Bruce Arians was not wanting to be around the Cardinals for the long term. And part of the reason why I think he wasn't was because the Cardinals were saying, hey, our special team is 32nd. We got to get this guy out of here. He said, well, I'm retiring if you fire him. And so it just turned into, I think, a soured relationship. I think that Kyman Bidwell, there's been questions. Some people have said that they're Cardinals are a great organization. Some have said they're difficult to work with. In whatever case or capacity, at least, it's still just like having to go to any other job or workplace. There's some bosses you love, some bosses you won't. I think what ended up happening was over the 2016 to 2017, you saw some of that souring that went down. I think then, then you turned into Kime having a bit more of the authority, Bidwell having a bit more of the authority. They go and hire Steve Wilkes thinking, we've got this culture already built up. And then I think a lot of the culture ended up leaving with Bruce Arians because they hadn't really built up a true, you know, identity like a Pittsburgh or like a Patriots or just those teams that you kind of think of as far as competitive every single year. I think they believed that they had had that and built it up and just had injury bad luck. So instead they brought in that new coach. And now I think that they're kind of having to rely on that coach. I'd be very curious if they end up having to, you know, give up some of that authority. You know, if, you know, what I thought was interesting that Albright talked about was he still said that Kai might not be safe after the draft. That to me was fascinating because I think that, if you're going to basically have Steve Kime be the one making these picks or going through, it's almost like what the Phoenix Suns did with Sean McDonough, where they fired him nine days before the season starts, which would be kind of a true dramatic irony for Arizona. But just the fact that um, you'd be having to give up some of that authority. I know I think Jason Lock and Ford talked about Arizona letting Mike McCarthy have free reign and being willing to let go of, of Steve Kime to do so. I don't believe a lot of that, honestly, because it doesn't seem like it's anything of – Bidwell and Kime seem like they're in this together up until, you know, Michael Bidwell makes that declaration of, hey, this isn't Steve Wilkes' fault. This is yours now, and then moves Kime out the door. Maybe it's a little bit more tenuous than we thought. That's the kind of the one thing. So maybe you're right in that if Gaze does get signed, perhaps it's kind of the expectation of, hey, you're going to be our head coach for the long haul of developing this quarterback. The one thing I do want to ask you about, John, and get into is Armando Salguero, who is one of the kind of closest people to the Dolphins as far as a beat writer. Uh, he was one of the guys who kind of had a, a rebuffing, at least, of this with Adam Gates. He said that Gates had serious issues and misgivings about Josh Rosen coming out in the draft last year, but an interview is an interview, I guess. But I think is 
very interesting because there's also reports that Gates loved Josh Rosen. Some people said that it was uh, pre-draft of that. Albright at least has said that it's Baker Mayfield was the guy that he just loved. And I think that that's the guy that most NFL teams love. We've even seen how Mayfield performed once he got the right coordinator in. What do you think about what happens if Adam Gates, if let's say that that is true and he did have misgivings about Josh Rosen at least. What happens if you are having to move kind of past this Adam Gates or if it ends up turning into a sticking point at least as far as because I think obviously you're whoever's coming in they are going to be getting married to this next quarterback you can't have any type of whether it's misgivings or not it'll be very interesting to see how that what are your thoughts at least on that John because that would be kind of maybe not a, a total deal breaker for the Cardinals Ben didn't seem to think it was but what, what, what are your thoughts at least on that if that ends up being true I mean it could it could very well be true um but I also think Blake that that I think Adam Gase and Benjamin Albright mentioned this is, is he's very close to Ryan Tannehill. So you believe that, you know, whomever that they drafted this year would need to have a legitimate chance to unseat him. And Josh Rosen probably wasn't ready to do that this year. He probably viewed Baker Mayfield as the only individual that could come in right away and unseat Ryan Tannehill. Right. Even though Rosen was viewed by many as the, the top pro ready prospect that probably wasn't case, the case this year. And a lot of that, had to do with his supporting cast, but I think it more had to do with the fact that he probably thought to himself, I need to win this year. I want to win with Ryan Tannehill, but he's also not the GM. He doesn't make the decisions. Um, I question a lot of what's coming out in terms of he loved this guy, didn't love this guy. I mean, one of two things could be happening. He could be interviewing because he really genuinely wants the job and wants to be a head coach, which, which Ben alluded to in our interview, or he could be using it as leverage, but to yeah. leverage what? To leverage the Packers, to leverage the Jets. He doesn't have interviews yeah. with the, with those teams yet. Well, he doesn't. So he I, doesn't have them yet. But the Jets, I know, are looking at it. The Packers, I think, are the other one. But it, so it's kind of it's maybe using it as leverage for that one. And I've seen that before with other guys like Pat Shermer, who I thought at one point was probably going to be like the Cardinals coach next year. Was one of the things I was looking at. But we'll have to see, I guess. Well, I, here's what I'll say: Gase has got tape of Rosen this year, and yeah, th- there's a lot of stuff that's going to be a negative. But he he makes NFL throws and he can make some pretty pass plays and I, I think if he looks at that and sees enough that he likes I mean I'm sure he can I mean Tannehill's tape was really rough before Gates got there Gates probably made Tannehill into a respectable quarterback um, I know he did compared to what he was before then he inherited Ryan Tannehill and who knows if he loved Ryan Tannehill coming out he probably he just wanted an opportunity right there are only 32 of these jobs mm-hmm. and you, you talk about the quarterbacks that are available this year there's no guarantee if you take any of these jobs that don't have a quarterback in place that you're going to get one. Um, is the Jets job better than the Cardinals job? You know, historically, um, I would say no, just for the fact that the, the Cardinals have had more success recently. I know the Jets went to two AFC championship games with, with Mark Sanchez, but it's been so long since they made the postseason. Do you also, Blake, really want to go back to that division with Belichick? You know, you're never going to win as long as he's there. You want to go back to that same division? I'm not sure the Jets, after seeing Gase within their division, want to bring him on. I just, I don't know if that's a little bit too close to call. I really do believe that the Cardinals' only competition is Green Bay. And I just, I'm not sure how his mantra and his thinking style and his coaching ability fits with Aaron Rodgers. And so I, I continually go back to the fact that the, the, this is kind of, you know, I don't know if I should put it this way because he's not, you know, a marquee name, but I think the stars are aligning for the Cardinals to get him because of the fact there's not a lot of great competition out there. And I think you can, there's so much more to sell him on than there was a Pat Shermer a year ago. And we've gone through it all that. I I just think that if you give him enough incentive 
to stick around. And by incentive, I mean, financially, if you put dollars in front of him and you give him the ability to, to not have say in the draft clearly, but he's going to have an opportunity to dictate who he wants offensively, the, the kind of players that fit his scheme, a la Bruce Arians, which I think time is going to do. You, you, you work together and you make that cohesive. Um, I, I, I think it's going to work. And I, I, I would say also, it's interesting. Ben brought up the fact that his coordinators were more like his buddies in Miami. Mm-hmm. He's got to learn from that. Um, what if the Cardinals are like, you can bring on who you want as your coordinators and the Packers want to do this long vetting process. I mean, like, that's not the best be mantra in terms of, in terms of you know getting the best staff on the field, but I, I just think that to me, I, I think he's an easier sell in Green Bay or in Arizona than he is in Green Bay. I think Green yeah. Bay's got in a tough spot because you're replacing Mike McCarthy, who won his championship, who consistently made the postseason outside last year and this year. Um, and Gase to me has not proven a whole lot. He's proven a lot to me because the bar is so low and this is a rebuild, but I mean, the Packers want to go into next year and compete for a postseason burst. They want to try to retake the division. I don't know if they look at Adam Gase as the guy who's going to do that for him, especially when you've got so many question marks throughout the rest of that roster and you, you need people to be able to elevate exclusively. I think that defense, because you feel like if you've got Aaron Rodgers, you can put up 25, 30 points a game. So it'll, it'll just be interesting to see Blake, if, if he makes it to another interview, uh, I would say that, that things aren't looking good, but I, I watch out for, for something Friday, Saturday. And if they don't get to those interviews this weekend and um, you start to hear that they're, they're canceling interviews, I, I think they could go into negotiations quickly. I really do. Yeah, I, I think that that'll be interesting because I'm still not kind of the biggest Gase fan, I think, in the world. I think it's it's solid hire, and I think it could work. I think if there is still questions, at least, about how much of it's on the quarterback, how much of it's on him, that's going to be really interesting, at least, for the workout. Because, you know, this is a guy who's 23 and 25, but then also did win, you know, 13 of the last 14 games. So I feel like it's a move where you're getting kind of a guy who checks all the different boxes. He's not getting a guy who's maybe on the way up. Uh, like, he's clearly not a guy who was able to overcome some of the areas, but then you're also given the hand that you're dealt with. I don't think the Cardinals would be a team that would let him pick his own buddies or even have a lot of the roster control. So maybe that'll be one of the areas that will have to be a spot. It's because Steve Kahn and Michael Bidwell, he's going to have his hand way too much. It's going to be very different from how I think Ross is kind of a guy who jumps in at random times. And is like, Oh, this happens here. This happens here is how it was with the dolphins. Whereas Bidwell is going to be pretty involved with the day-to-day operations overall, as far as it being a part of the conversation, the decision while not necessarily, you know, running the team in that sense. So it'll be interesting with how uh, it'll work out. The, I know that the biggest thing I would say is obviously if this job is still behind, the Browns job he's not interviewing for, the Jets and the Packers job, that's going to be interesting because the Packers are probably going to be trying to swing for the fences with Josh McDaniels. Maybe he stays in you know New England another year. Totally agree. For that, one. that could be a possibility. Or maybe it, the stars align where it's like, okay, last year with the Colts, didn't know what the situation was going to be. They wanted to turn back around because they knew for a fact they had Tom Brady and Grok together for one more year. Maybe that's part of what was brought back with some of that. Um, and maybe, of course, he's like, sees Aaron Rodgers there. And I was like, well, man, Brady's like, you know, 42. And he, you know, I think Brady even missed out on some of the uh, incentives he had in his contract because he just wasn't able to get into kind of the top five range. It's not seeing the Patriots slow down as a machine, but maybe you're seeing the quarterback start to be a little bit less as far as the you know, the contributing factor behind the reason why they're winning as it was oftentimes in the past. So it'll be something that will be interesting to flesh out with the interviews. I think the one that's the most curious to, for me, again, would be, as we've talked about, would be 
Bienemy and also with Kingsbury because if teams are interviewing Kingsbury for a head coach as far as with OC positions, I don't think one Kingsbury would take any job that's less than a head coach. You're already the offensive coordinator at USC and you'll probably be able to get a pick of the litter if you can turn their team around of not just NFL jobs, but any, maybe even any head college coach job. He struggled at least to win in the big, in the big 12, but not necessarily for any reason as far as offense. It was more of whenever they would play these other bigger teams that either didn't have the talent to compete or you'd be looking at, you know, a game like the Oklahoma game where you're like scoring like over a hundred points in the game and you still lose because you have no defense. So that would be fascinating as far as for it being an experiment. In some cases you could probably compare it to Chip Kelly. I think that's how I compared it to as far as the yeah, negative comparison where you're like, Oh, we're bringing in this hotshot guy who's never done it at the NFL level before bring him in. Now the issue that I think that really what killed Chip Kelly was they gave Chip Kelly roster control and all sorts of control of every aspect of the team. They took that away from a really good GM in, um, Oh, uh, I was going to say at least Howie Roseman. Uh, Roseman. I was, gonna, I was thinking Peterson for some reason. And Roseman has been one of the better GMs in the NFL. He took all that responsibility away from him, gave it to Kelly. He tanks the team, you know, trades everyone away, goes after this entire approach with that one, thinking he can kind of manufacture offense with the different pieces in place. I think they were at one point, weren't they? They were the team that had, you know, Michael Vick, Jeremy Macklin, Deshaun Jackson, and LaShawn McCoy trades away all of those guys, is left with Michael Vick at least in this completely new scheme, and it just completely tanks and goes downhill and all of a sudden they bring in another coach they're back to normal at least so that's where i think if they did end up bringing kingsbury for any time in for interview and if you wows them with the process you say all right well here's how we're going to do it we've got to get you a defensive coordinator at least for that into that regard and you're also not going to be in charge of personnel control you're going to have to basically be taking your scheme and decisions to the nfl level and we'll see how this marriage works i think it's one that the cardinals are a specific spot where it could work based on what we've seen in the past uh, it would just really really ultimately depend on what could we have no idea what we'd see from kingsbury as far as at the pro level so maybe in that sense on the positive spectrum you could compare it to a jim harbaugh you could take a guy who comes out of the college ranks, ends up having kind of this specific type and specific approach, lights up the league offensively. We saw that with Colin Kaepernick. It looked like he was basically going to be the next big thing. Harbaugh's personality obviously wore down over time. Kingsbury at least seemed to wear out his welcome at Texas Tech, but not enough for that. So that would be the one that would be curious to pick his brain. I do think that I agree with you. A lot of teams are going to be very very reticent, especially with a guy like Gase on the market to hire a guy who has not done it before at yep. the NFL head coaching level. But again, if you're looking at as far as for a home run or a splash hire, it's the guy who turned Patrick Mahomes, even Baker Mayfield, and maybe Baker would have succeeded regardless. But uh, between having those two offensive minds, if you can't get a Lincoln Riley as far as to bring in, you got to have the next best thing. So I'd be very curious as to how that the team would uh, ultimately approach that so but otherwise if you're going to be looking for what the cardinals are looking for i do agree gay seems to check off all those boxes of the head coaching experience quarterback development uh, kind of a guy who's still 40 years old he's still pretty young overall the guy who i thought would kind of fit the bill almost a little bit better who's still kind of on the upswing was the guy i asked ben about in todd monken unless the cardinals kind of get to the second tier where all these other coaches like gay ends up with the jets all these other teams pick their coaches the cardinals don't really have a choice but to kind of start interviewing some of these other guys i don't think that they'll interview him but he's a guy who obviously with little quarterbacks on the roster with Jameis winston and uh i believe with um uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, at least, still had like a top five offense this year, aggressive downfield passing attack, and turned around that Southern Miss program. But I feel like at least if you have the guy who's like the Adam Gase, he's kind of checks all of those boxes at least, but he a does. little higher up for the most part outside of Monken obviously having 
a much higher performing offense than, then again, you could make the argument with what he had to work with. Uh, no Mike Evans, <laughs> no OJ Howard. Yep. Uh, offensive line was clearly in tatters and it might be where it's a decent marriage. I think that's what we'll find out once the Cardinals finish their interview with Adam Gase, we'll have a pretty good knowledge and whereabouts because if Gase wants to interview, say with the Packers and the Jets and a couple other teams and start mulling things around, or even if the Cardinals end up kind of feeling like it's not going to be a fit because he really isn't as sold on Josh Rosen as maybe that's what Armando was correct. Then I think you'll see it moving on and Gase will probably automatically have a job waiting for him, at least in Detroit as far as being the offensive coordinator is kind of what yeah. the bell seems to be around there. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think that I would be uh, good with the hire. I think that there's still question marks that I would have, sure. especially because you're hiring a coach who was just fired, you know, from his last job. That's usually different from hiring a coach in the up, like we saw with Bruce Arians and also like we saw with Ken Wisenhunt. So sometimes it's a situational issue. Sometimes it's just a spot of, you know, there's problems that were going and that's what led to them getting fired. So that's where I think some Cardinals fans would look at it. Maybe not is the home run that Bidwell and Kime would as far as for those. But when you're hiring a guy who was a previous head coach and is really sought after for the quarterback experience and production, like you said, that that may be the biggest thing that Arizona might need is just a, a steady hand of someone who's, who's done it before versus, you know, taking a trial or swinging for the fences. Well, here's two quick things on the coaching search, Blake. Quickly on Gase. Um, you talk about Ryan Tannehill being injury prone. Say what you wanted about Josh Rosen. You could look at his tape this year and know that he, he's a tough kid and and played through a lot of hits this year. Yeah. And I think you could sell Gase on the fact that he doesn't have injury concerns because look at how many hits he took this year and he kept getting up. I think that's I think that's a selling point. I think it's an undervalued selling point. I, because remember coming out, he had concussion issues, he had gotten beat up at UCLA and he he's still pushing forward. So I think his toughness cannot be undervalued. And I, I also think with regard to I think it's interesting with Mike McCarthy not having interest in interviewing with Arizona. I don't know if that's the perception of the Cardinals, but somebody needs to remind Mark McCarthy that I think it's the last four times he's faced the Cardinals. He's lost. So he's lost to the Cardinals twice in the postseason. He's lost to the Cardinals. He got, he got whooped in 2015 during the regular season, lost in the postseason. He lost to the Cardinals in the postseason with Kurt Warner in 2009. And then he just got fired by losing to the Cardinals this year. And so I I don't know if it's the perception. Maybe he doesn't want to move his family cross country, but I, I just think it's a rebuild inter- job because it is still in yeah. some cases a rebuild job. But so he's interviewing for the Jets job. I would argue that's just as much of a rebuild. And you're entering, entering the division with Bill Belichick. I, I just, to me, it just, it doesn't make sense. I think the only place I think that for him, this is a perfect fit is probably Cleveland because you've got a roster that's seemingly on the rise. You've got a quarterback that's young enough, but I mean, the Jets need just as much, if not more than the Cardinals do. Um, and for him to just, blow I, I i don't not that i take it personally but i just i don't understand especially when he's he's seen it up close like the cardinals have beaten him numerous times and then now for him to just be like i'm not interested in your position i mean to each their own i just thought that that was kind of strange because we had heard that the cardinals were interested had communication with his agent and now it came out it's just like i'm gonna pass on that who knows uh the cardinals are probably better off blake because mm-hmm. i think going with somebody as young as gays or some of these other choices as long as they're not saddled with somebody like Caldwell, I think they'll benefit in the long run, but just, just strange to me. 
Yeah, I think it, the interesting thing is maybe it has to do with the front office as part of it. The other thing it might be is more style of quarterback. If you're looking at what really happened with the scheme down the stretch, part of the reason why he was let go was the similar reasons for Andy Reid, where the offense had gotten stale. There wasn't ingenuity. A lot of the routes were basically just running the same type of routes down the field and kind of guys weren't able to separate because there was not really any scheming to draw them open. So came on to Aaron Rodgers having to kind of do some Rodgers magic. So maybe part of what you're looking at with McCarthy is with the Browns and the Jets, they've got a very different type of ability with being able to use a more mobile quarterback. Maybe it's still the personality fit with the team. I'm not sure it could be one of those things, but just looking at with Darnold Mayfield, even a Josh Allen, the style of quarterback they had really fit a lot of where teams are able to have success because when a young quarterback can use his legs and can run for yards, he was able to use that scrambling. That ended up being a very valuable tool for teams winning early as the quarterback was able to trust their legs while they're young and then progress mentally. Bruce Arians even said the same thing in his book. When you look at Ben Roethlisberger in his rookie season, you know, or Antoine Randall was the one who was passing for touchdowns in the Super Bowl. And Ben was able to run the no huddle, at least. That's one of the reasons they're able to, I believe, beat. I think it was the – was it even the Patriots? I don't remember. Oh, no, I think it was the no huddle. They were able to beat the Steelers with yeah. – um, yep. I think it was uh, – was it uh, Kelly – was it Kelly Hol- – is it the Kelly Holcomb or Tim Couch? Yeah. I think it was Kelly Holcomb. Yeah, they were able to run and beat the team. It was fascinating because a lot of the stuff that they were saying was the same kind of reasons of how you can win with younger quarterbacks. Rosen kind of comes in at a spot of, because he's a guy, you saw him run and take off, and he was the leading rusher against the Rams for the Cardinals. But he's not really a scrambler. He's just a guy who wants to stay in the structure, be in the pocket, and he'll be able to, uh, hey, master that structure, get that down, and then when I need to, provide me space to be able to move, reset my feet, and make the throws. That doesn't really seem to fit Mike McCarthy at all, considering with Aaron Rodgers being the guy who would you know scramble around and throw deep for a Hail Mary perhaps that's one of the reasons why it's just not a a cultural fit for the Cardinals since McCarthy might not want to change so yep totally reasonable I think it's reasonable and I think it's also reasonable just to say even if the Cardinals are willing to promise that much you you still have to have some type of check so it's a loss in sense of I think that McCarthy would have been able to come here Rosen's production still would have been able to take off and I think he would have been able to make a lot of those kind of same steady moves especially if you're talking about like you know kind of bringing in some of that Packers mentality creating the culture on the other hand the negatives as far as for what led him to get fired some of them are the same with Gase, and I would preferably take the younger quarterback, take the younger guy who's Absolutely. going to be a bit more adaptable for the most part and is able to have some of those clutch victory wins. Like this wasn't a case where Gase was fired mid-season, like Mike McCarthy saying, "Hey, you, you got to get out of here." He's fired end of the season when he might have been brought back, and you know words were exchanged and shared. So it'll be interesting to see how it is moving forward. I think if I had to rank where they were at, depending on how the enemy interviews, I still think that I would be looking more of like the. Monk, and I, I would obviously, and this is something we didn't talk about, was this, I, if the Cardinals are in a spot where, let's say that Gase takes the job with the Jets, let's say that Biennemi's not going to be kind of the right guy for you, let's say that you're looking at Dan Campbell and the other guys, let's say that they take a Bengals job, for example, or something with that. If you're kind of getting down to the stretch where you're looking at guys to hire, I, it, and Mike McCarthy does go to the Browns, I would still try to reach out to Freddie Kitchens, even though it might not be what the Cardinals would you know, seek is the first option. I would still at least reach out, bring it in at least for an interview just to kind of get the outside take because you know this guy for like at least eight or nine years of working with the Cardinals, at least be able to have them as kind of a second tier option at least. That's where I would kind of look toward that approach at least for if the team is going to look for another spot, especially since at that point, if you're looking at Monk in our kitchen. So those are kind of my four guys. I think I'll probably have Gase at least as the fifth guy that I would be pretty happy with overall. Uh, Kingsbury to me is kind of fascinating because it almost feels like in that sense of you better hope that Steve Kime is safe because if you roll the dice and you totally miss, 
then you're basically going to be starting over from scratch in 2020. You have no idea what's going to happen, at least, or if you've already, you know, Rosen has gone through the area where he's now going to be like a Chad Pennington or a, some type of goods. Or if you kind of rolled the dice and all of a sudden you're going to have a super successful. Gase kind of falls in that middle category if you know what you're getting. Yep. And even if you fail, you look at his teams. He never had a team that really failed and got like a top pick. I think the lowest total that he had was 6-10. and 10. He had a 10-6 and six season. Never got to that extra level as far as being able to do more, but you've had another 7-9 and nine season. You're at least taking a step forward from what you saw with Steve Wilkes as far as with the coaching staff. Maybe that stability is what Arizona needs. My hope, at least for the team, is that they'll be able to find a guy who is ultimately a you know stud head coach who can compete against the you know the McVeighs, can go up against the uh, with Russell Wilson in Seattle. You can go up against the. Uh, with the Niners and their head coach with uh, Kyle Shanahan. If you can get a guy who can exchange blows offensively, that's the way you're going to have to compete in this NFC West division because it's just become a power, an arms race. And that's been kind of hilarious to watch the entire shift of the division from you saw this ground and pound division with Wilson and Kaepernick running the football. You saw the Rams with their aggressive defense under Jeff Fisher and the Cardinals were just had a good defense, but were struggling with the quarterback position. Whole thing flipped over on its head as far as once Bruce Arians came in cardinals you know won the division um hosted a playoff game we're second to the seahawks in the second one all of a sudden you start seeing these downfield passing attacks start coming into the division with kyle shanahan and sean McVay. cardinals might have to kind of be the team who's behind they decided to go all out on defense that missed them this year if you get a guy as long as he can compete that that's the, that's the place that i would go at least for the cardinals is bring in that offensive guy that grew who can just put up points and be able to stay competitive yep. in that division absolutely totally agree and i think that with gaze you're going to get that. I mean, you look at the, the Miami Dolphins had a fire sale this offseason, got rid of their best receiver, their best defensive player. Um, they they brought in old players like Frank Gore. Uh, and he I didn't get, he got the most out of that team. And had they had Ryan Tannehill the entire season, they might have entered the last week of the season. I mean, they won seven games this year. They had no business winning seven games. Yeah, They won six games last year without their quarterback and he tried to coax, and he did get. He got Jay Cutler to come out of retirement, kind of as a desperation move. But they didn't have Tannehill all of last season. I, you give him Josh. They beat Rosen. the Broncos with the Patriots. They beat the Patriots with Jay Cutler, didn't they? On Monday Night Football, and they yeah. they they kind of embarrassed them at that point. And I know the Patriots have always had a tough time. I think he went like uh, almost five hundred against Bill Belichick in his career as the Dolphin. Don't quote me on that. I know he want. You know he split these last two years with him. So it just depends on how he did that first year when he went 10 and six. But here's what I'll say. When you're, when you're talking about options, when you're talking about being able to sell it to your fan base, and when you're talking about ceiling, uh, his ceiling may not be as high as some of these other guys, but you're not realistically, you're, again, you're not going to get these. You're, you're not probably going to get Josh McDaniels. You're not going to get Jim Harbaugh. You're not going to get the coach for Lincoln Riley. I mean, the yeah. best the best option to me is to find a young offensive mind who's had success before, who calls plays, and who's good with quarterbacks. I mean, who does mm-hmm. that sound like? That sounds to me, uh, outside of being a head coach, is, is Bruce Arians. So uh, it's is it going to be Bruce Arians? I don't know. They haven't even hired him yet. But at the same, I think there 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 are many more positives with Gase than than there are question marks. I should say certainties. And there are question marks. Uh, I, I am fearful, and I know the front office is, and I know that this is why they're bringing in Jim Caldwell for an interview, is they want somebody at the end of the day who is going to keep the team competitive and, uh, uh, in a lack of a better term, not vomit all over themselves like they did yep. this year. And, and Caldwell can get you to 9-7. and seven. He can get you to 8-8. Eight and eight. 
That's not, that shouldn't be the ceiling anymore. That shouldn't be the goal. But after this year, I mean, you got to take a firm look at, at the, the, the entire structure, the foundation of the organization. And I think with Gase, you, you have the chance to, to really hit on something as well as he pairs, as long as he pairs well with Rose. Yeah, that'll be the big question, I think, ultimately, is because that's relationship. And, you know, Rosen, uh, at this point, he's on his third offensive coordinator, you know, in, in, at the end of his first NFL season, which is going to be crazy considering he had three offensive coordinators in college, too. So that's the stability. I think that obviously why they're bringing in an offensive mind is have the one head coach who's the play caller will also then kind of have control of that offense. You can keep that stability. I, that's really what a lot of the teams are looking for. So I'll be very curious as to see how the team will get built for next year. Maybe you bring in some of I, I don't I have to look and see who some of those receivers who worked in the past were um the interesting one this will be kind of our last one as we kind of close out with the coaching talk at least for today is uh, with the idea of a dan campbell and a uh, zach taylor pairing that to me is kind of interesting as far as it doesn't seem like it's the top option but as far as for kind of finding the leader of men in the one and then maybe the mind the football minds in the second one at least there's the offense connections obviously in the past a tough a tough spot that campbell had he seems kind of like he's a guy who I don't want to say it's Wilkes like, but on the offense, and I don't know how much he would have absorbed as far as from Sean Payton. But if you're bringing in another guy as a different person as an offensive coordinator, I would think that that might be positive for a few years. But then if the genius does turn out to kind of be dead OC, we've seen that happen before with Kyle Shanahan leaving. We've seen that before also where the Bucks fired Lovey Smith to keep Dirt Cutter. You saw the offense that they had was, you know, highly performing offense you just saw whether it's personnel decisions or just the design at least of some of the areas did not continue what are your thoughts at least overall with Campbell as far as it seems like he fits a completely different type of hire than any of these other guys looking who are these high powered you know offensive minds or gurus at least for the most part that you're talking about with the Cardinals he just seems like he's one of those guys who doesn't fit that mold as much but he still kind of fits maybe the leader of men uh, mold that you know Arians and Kime fell in love with with Steve Wilkes of this of this last year. Yeah. yeah, I was just about to say he almost kind of reminds you as another Steve Wilkes, but at least his his area of I would say expertise is kind of on the offensive side. He he's a former third round pick uh, out of Texas A and M in nineteen ninety nine uh, as a tight end. That that was his specialty. That's what he played. So he came into the league as a coaching intern with the Dolphins, uh, became their tight ends coach for four years, um, and then was of course the infamous interim coach in 2015 actually actually coincidentally before Gates took over um so he has a relationship there and then he's been with the Saints since 2016 so at the very least you would hope he's picked the brain of of the the clever innovative coaches down there in New Orleans um at the same time never called plays he's never been a coordinator he's barely been a position coach and he's a position coach frankly that you know it's not like he's coaching quarterbacks he's coaching tight ends now his title does say assistant head coach but you you never really know when you've got sean payton who's likely going to the hall of fame like how much do they really need an assistant head coach uh i I don't know but at the same time uh, i think to me it was interesting that that benjamin pointed out i i would think that zach taylor is more qualified to be a head coach than dan is just because he's calling play he's not calling plays but he's got he's got the he's third got, down experience as right well. he's like got he's, down planning yeah he's he, he's the the coordinator right he's kind of, he's he's working hand in hand with sean mcveigh he knows the ins and outs of that system and so with your pairing i would think dan would come in as kind of an understudy to zach but according to ben that's not the case uh, it's a dicey it's a dicey proposition 
um, because you literally just went through this. You just went through this with Steve Wilkes. That's why, to me, like when you stack up these coaches, and he basically did that in, in the interview we just did. Like, there's clearly a tier right now, like, that Gase checks the most boxes, right? Then you move into that next tier with Dan and Zach and Cliff. And then it's just like Jim Caldwell's all the way at the bottom. Like clearly he's getting other interviews, but who's really going to hire him? I'm I'm not sure. Um, He's not anybody's first pick. I would, I would think, Um, but he he's had success. But at the same time, like uh, I I would think Dan is kind of in that middle tier with Eric Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting. Are we going to hear more names come out, Blake, of guys that they're going to interview? Because right now, to me, it's 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 straightforward. It's like if they can't get Gase, like they're going to have to pick from these this hodgepodge group of coaches. When you've already got McCarthy turning you down, um, are you going to have to go with somebody like Jim Caldwell? And then it's just like, okay, what are we doing here? He's sixty four years old, and he looks sixty four. I mean, it's like how much energy can he bring to this team? Um, is he gonna, He's not going to call his own plays. Is he, could he bring Jim Bob Cooter in? Who was just like, over the lions. Like, I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't see it making a ton of sense. Campbell, at least you've got youth on your side. You've got enthusiasm and you know, he can motivate. But like I said, all those things about Steve Wilkes last year, Steve Wilkes did a nice job as the interim with Ron Rivera when he had the health concerns. Like there, there's too many, there's too many similarities, at least for Steve Wilkes. He, he had been a coordinator before. Albeit for one year, so um, if he could get Zach Taylor coming and run the offense, and all he all he had to do was come in and get guys ready to run through a wall for him, like I'd be interested to see how it worked out. Like it, yeah. I'd have some optimism, um, and he'd be he'd be a great he'd be a Bruce Arians kind of interview uh, mm-hmm. in terms of his press conference. But yeah, I, just, yeah. I don't think there's enough enough context for him to come in and be your coach next year. I just I I, I could. I'm, yeah, I, I think that's going to be interesting with him because the the biggest thing I think that, and this is kind of what I thought about, was like, you know, with Jim Caldwell, and we've talked about Jim Caldwell, like uh, I've kind of been saving, like maybe not saving this, but the thought that I had was like, so if you're going to hire Jim Caldwell, is it like, is there not enough quiet stoicism on the sideline with Steve Wilkes? And that's yep. why you had to go with Jim Caldwell. Like, yep. they want a steady presence. Now, he did obviously like overachieve with bad Lions teams. We've seen that when Matt Patricia has taken Absolutely. Over. I think Campbell's a guy who you hire him last year, and then that would be the guy that you bring in Mike McCoy as far as like with, or you wouldn't bring in Mike McCoy now, obviously, but that's how the Cardinals mentality would have been is get your kind of leader, quiet leader of men that you would have interviewed with last year. And then when that didn't work out with McCoy, then it's like, okay, well, then we'll turn over a lot of the offense over to Leftwich. And then you'd kind of be keeping him for next year if you saw the changes or adjustments or progress because he was a defensive guy. So you'd be hoping that Campbell would be able to absorb from the time in Miami, from some of the other coaches that some of the adaptations would have like changed. Maybe you don't hire, you know, Mike McCoy, if that's the case, but it does kind of feel like it would have been a hire that would have fit where the Cardinals had been directed. Now you're kind of looking at saying, look, we don't need to have a rah-rah guy. We need to have an X's and O's person who can kind of be the kind of de facto voice and lead the team and develop Josh Rosen. And of those candidates that they're interviewing, I think all of them, for the most part, at least seem to be guys who you could probably argue for, they could have success here. Even Jim Caldwell, you could even argue, you could have success here with the Cardinals or stabilizing. It just depends on who's the guy kind of that you'd be bringing in for some of those areas. I think that they're probably moved past some of that because I think that there was a possibility of, you know, Steve Wilkes and Jim Caldwell, maybe that was going to be his plan for next year. And it wasn't as impressive to the Cardinals. So there's a lot to be worked out at least with this Arizona team. 
I think that what we'll learn a lot about over is going to be probably in the next, say, I would say 36 hours because we're interviewing tomorrow with Gase. And I think that they are going to probably at least take a look at a few other candidates, but it would not shock me if it turns into, yep, this is the guy and they kind of run after to get that person trying to not let him leave the building, which would be, again, that flip that they're kind of totally looking for. Um, I still think that they're going to have guys like the enemy Taylor, some of the other guys in the house. Um, I, I think I was going to look up at least and see the time frame, at least for the most part with um, for Andy Reed uh, when he was hired, at least for the, it team. was quick. They, they got a private jet out there, man. They, they, yeah. they January, 4th, 20, January 4th, 2013, he reached yeah. within three days, basically after the season started for the most part, that was when he had agreed to be the next coach. So that's what was interesting with the Cardinals is if that's the case, they kind of brought their guy in right away. This year is a little different because they, Gase is kind of in that category with him and McCarthy, but it doesn't feel like a mad scramble for teams because Gase is already the first guy that you've got scheduled. So maybe that is going to be very telling for the Arizona Cardinals at least, but it was interesting at least for that. They've already scheduled guys through Saturday. And when you're talking about, Hey, we're going to be interviewing Cliff Kingsbury for the most part then who knows when those interviews will be happening. I would wonder if the Cardinals, you're not going to be seeing the late January signing. I think that maybe you'd be leaning toward next week, but we'll learn a lot. I think at least in the next 40, uh, 36, um, maybe Absolutely. 48 hours. Cause that'll tell us a lot. Cause if Gase all of a sudden leaves the Cardinals and goes in interviews with the Packers interviews with the jets, maybe even a couple other teams go through it. He kind of goes through a lot of the motions. That'll tell you a lot about how he feels about the Cardinals and Rose and that they weren't able to kind of seal the deal up front and that would be kind of the totally agree back to it but i would feel like at that point you'd be seeing mccarthy go to the browns and gates would be the guy going across the pond to the jets if you don't wrap it up here or maybe he just really likes andy dalton i can't see why he would yeah i i would think if here's i'll make a prediction right now and you hold me to it i think if they cannot get him locked in and i think he's their first choice uh i i think if they can't get a deal done with gates in the next like you mentioned 24 36 hours it's going to be clear that Gase did not want this position and use yeah. them as le- as leverage. I mean, that's the only other reason. Yeah, leverage or it turns into a spot of, hey, it can take over for the Cardinals, but as far as with Rosen, maybe you would end up turning into a spot of he would have to – I don't and that would be kind of the whole sticking point, at least, would be obviously how he feels about the quarterback. So we'll learn a lot up front for that one, but I think that's basically um, going to be what we'll find out in the next few days. We'll have obviously more news. I'm going to have my uh, top uh, head coaches kind of a tier list, at least that I have personally, and then where I think the Cardinals will go. That should be up at least on Revenge of the Birds, looking at either tomorrow or uh, if I can't get it done tomorrow. Uh, the next day uh, it should be up pretty quickly at least for the most part but that'll wrap up at least this uh this week's talk i do know john that one thing that we're really looking forward to once we kind of get past the coaching search we've talked about it kind of off the air um, previously, I know we wanted to get into it, but it's going to be the NFL draft. We'll be getting into more of that with the future. The Cardinals, again, did secure the number one pick, and I think that was the biggest takeaway I had from the last game of the Week 17. Just to wrap that up was Cardinals still got the number one pick, but they showed that they were competitive and a little bit closer than teams maybe would think, at least in a loss to the Seattle Seahawks, who is a playoff team and a pretty good team, at least for the most part. Maybe Seattle doesn't go as far as we think, or maybe Arizona ends up being that team that was able to you know, stick up. They still got run over for over 200 yards, obviously, but they were able to show a lot more. I was quite impressed, obviously, at least with the pass rush, and it wouldn't put me, uh, wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past the team to uh, have a couple of different options, at least in the NFL draft overall this year. So, yeah, as we wrap up to tonight, John, where can the listeners follow you on Twitter? I am at Johnny's Football, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S Football. Blake, where can they find your content? 
Yeah, from the content on Revenge of the Birds. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, after all. Uh, you'll also be able to find it as well uh, with me at Blake Murphy Seven on Twitter. Uh, make sure you're listening to the pod. We are available, obviously. With uh, we have a kind of our Art Nineteen is the service we use. As far as our links, we'll always post that on our at ROTB pod account. Uh, we'll have that as well with the Ask ROTB pod or just at that use that hashtag also available on apple podcasts spotify now as well as google podcasts uh, we're going to be all over the place so just make sure that you search for us do make sure that you subscribe we'd love to have any type of five-star reviews obviously with getting um uh, ben on to speak tonight is great we'd love to be able to get that information out for the cardinals fans we'll, we'll get this podcast published as early as we can so that way you can get this content out a lot of this news obviously will be leaking out through the local media probably over tomorrow and the next day so we're happy to be able to bring some of that content to you guys as Cardinals fans or any other fans who might be listening. Uh, Thanks again for joining. Have a wonderful time and go Cards. We've got the end of an era and the start of a new era in Cardinals football. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.